Blog Talk Radio. Hello, good evening, happy Tuesday, uh, another cold one in New York. This is Peggy Imanisi broadcasting from Westchester County, New York, in Verplank. And my song is, my song, my uh, show is called Signs Our Loved Ones Send Us. We have a do, doing a live show tonight, as we do every Tuesday from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And uh, we are worldwide, so you can Skype the show if you like. And uh, look for your time zones. Uh, I think it's... Uh, four to six uh, Pacific Coast right now, and I'm not quite sure about Central. I would assume it's like 6 p.m. So anyhow, I have, um, I'm doing a little little bit of a different show tonight. Um, I have another grieving mother with us who's an author, and um, <clears throat> she's coming on. She's, she's also a psychologist, and we're going to be talking about um, suicide tonight and doing some of our other things that we do on our show, like bringing the signs of loved ones send you. And I'm going to read you a little bit about our um, <clears throat> our guest tonight. Excuse me. <clears throat> oh, pardon me. Um, her name is Nina Nina Bingham, and she's a certified clinical hypother uh, sorry hypnotherapist, American Pacific University. Um, she um, HI Associates of Arts and Psychology, Santa Rosa Junior College. She attended a CA Bachelor's of Arts in Applied Psychology. City University of Seattle, Washington, Masters of Science of Mental Health Counseling, 
academic program completed uh, Capella University in Minnesota. Now, to get uh, tell you a little about Nina herself, these are some of the things she's done. Uh, Nina Bingham, and she can correct me on the, the saying, pronouncing, you know, pronouncing her last name. She's an author, life coach, and clinical hypnotherapist, inspiring, sincere, and wholehearted. Uh, she educates not only from her academic knowledge, but shares from her own hard-won life experience in a new and profound way. In private practice since 2003, she has treated individuals and couples with a wide variety of mental health issues. She's the author of three books of poetry and one recovery workbook, Never Enough, Her Never Enough. Her fifth book, Once the Storm is Over, From Grieving to Healing After the Suicide of Her Daughter, is due out in February 2015. It's the autobiographical, bio, bio, sorry, I wish you could help me talk tonight, <laughs> um, and autobiographical confession of a counselor who lost her teen daughter to suicide. What she's learned about love and forgiveness changed her life and forever it will change yours too. So I'm going to be uh, bringing Nina on and let her tell you in her own words about herself, and we'll be doing an interview and then um, taking um, questions if we have time tonight. Okay, let me bring Nina on now. Hold on, please. Hi, Nina. Hi, Peggy. How are you doing? Hi. I wish you could fix my mouth tonight. I can't. <laughs> fumbling doing, on my words. Help great. me. You're doing great. Well, thank you. Well, Nina, like you, like you. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, you know what? I have a mess. I tell everybody on the show, and sometimes my words get a little screwy, so I admit my own faults, you know. But like you, Nina, I'm also, uh, I, I guess you know somewhat about me now. I've lost many, including two of my children while in their 20s, cystic fibrosis. And we've done shows on CF. We've done shows on MS with me. We've done challenges. Uh, we bring loved ones through. We tell about signs. We do all sorts of things on the show. But tonight... um, we're going to talk a little bit more about suicide. Um, I know it's a hard subject. I've lost, uh, before I was married, my uh, boyfriend of many years committed suicide. So it's a subject close to my heart, too. So tell us about you in your own words, Nina. You know, just pull your hair back, have a cup of tea, have a glass of booze. I don't care. We're very carefree on the show. Just do your thing. Relax, and let's let's hear about you. Let's hear about you. Well, thank you. Um, I think, Peggy, you did a wonderful, beautiful introduction, and I just thank feel you. really honored to, to be here. And, um, and you know, you've gone through so much of of the journey that I've, you know, taken in the last two and a half years since my daughter um, took her life in 2013. You know, you've mm-hmm. lost two children, uh, boyfriends committed suicide. So you've already lost... And I lost my husband and son nine months apart. Uh, you know, they were... It, it was crazy. It was one right after the other. So it's... it's This mm. journey's been rough for us both, you know? But yeah. the most important thing, I think, that we help each other, and that's what you're doing, too. And that's mm-hmm. why I, I'm very proud to have you on the show tonight, because I like what you're doing with your journey to help others also. Thank you. Well, we have a lot in common. Um, we're both grievers, and you're a long-time griever. I'm kind of a short-term mm-hmm. griever. New, this whole journey is new to me, but I'm learning right. a lot, and and that's what right. I'm here for is just hopefully to teach a little bit from my own experience. Um, you asked about my background, and you know you read yes. about my um, credentials, my my um. Yeah, I know. I was just like I had just rushed to my room, and um, we've had some problems here with the uh, the pipes and whatever. So I was trying to unfreeze mm. the tub, and then I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to get to the show. So I'm I got a little tongue tied there, but I I apologize. Like I said, we're very laid back. Took, I think it's great that you took the time, you know, off from your pipes here <laughs> to just 
to just have some hey, fun together. Okay. Um, but yep. I spent the last 12 years, um, you know, aside from studying mental health and psychology, um, uh, just working with, with couples and individuals and children in mental health and, and as a life coach for 12 years in private practice. And, um, you know, right. in the last, I would say, you know, nine years, I've really become a researcher because college kind of makes anyone a skeptic. And right. so I've always kind of right. considered myself a woman of science. But right. today, I think my perspective on that has changed a lot. And I, I now today would consider myself what I like to call an open-minded skeptic. So right. Well, tonight, you know, I was in the medical I, field myself. I, I was. Um, I worked with Alzheimer's dementia patients for years. I had my own home care nursing business, and I worked mm. with some mentally ill myself. And um, so we kind of have another common bond there. So I, I know what mm-hmm. you're saying. I kind of went by the book with things many years, and then we can't always do that because sometimes the biggest book is life or life itself. Uh, and I'm sure you would agree with that. That your perspective on things since you losing your daughter, right? That has mm-hmm. taught you even more than any book can tell us, you know, life yeah. experience. Yeah. That's right. That's right. I think I've learned more in the last two and a half years about myself and human nature right. um, than I ever did when I was in school. So the purpose of my writing at this point is just to help readers overcome their emotional challenges. And the book that's coming out is uh, going to be released um, uh, March 1st. We're very excited. We're just around the corner. Once the storm is mm-hmm. over, is going to enable readers to resolve grief, um, because as you know, there's an overwhelming guilt and shame that comes with being a suicide survivor. And oh gosh, so at this yeah, point, that was my first yes. major experience of suicide. Yep, yep, mm-hmm. changed my whole it's life. The grief and shame. Mm-hmm. And so the purpose of me writing the book was to um, share my journey, um, share what I've learned in the last two and a half years, but. I, I'm I'm still on the journey. I think, you know, two and a half years later, I still go to sleep every night thinking about my daughter, and I still wake, you know, talking to her, and I still wake up thinking of her. So yes. and throughout the day, you know, I think I think you grieve on and off for the rest of your life, which when I was in school, you know, I was taught about grief recovery, and I was taught how to work with people who were grieving, mm-hmm. but they never told me that part. They never kind of taught me that grief is a lifelong process. That it, oh, yeah. you go in and out of grief, don't you think? Yes. Yeah. I also think because I've I've also lost two siblings to cancer, uh, mm-hmm. parents, which is, you know, you, you when you, you grow up, you learn, you know, death is inevitable. And you know at some point parents will pass usually before you. But you're not taught. Mm-hmm. It, it's not normal. It's quote, unquote, mm-hmm. whatever normal is these days. That you're going to lose mm-hmm. a child, let alone two like me or one like you or to suicide or to cystic fibrosis or anything. And I don't take grief away from anybody, whether it be a sibling or a parent or a grandparent or anything. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. the journey, the child loss, is such a different type of grief. And I tell people, you never stop grieving. You just, life is never the same. It just gets different. It's not that you Mm -hmm. ever stop grieving. It just gets different in the journey. And um, you have to kind of learn to, each one of us as an individual, I would think, you have to learn to uh, cope with it in your own way, don't you think? I do, and I think everybody copes with it really differently. And I think um, the more I go through it myself and the more I'm, I'm spending time talking to people who are grieving, um, who've lost mm-hmm. family members or children to suicide, um, I really see how unique uh, it is to each person. And I think that we sort mm-hmm. of one thing that the um, psychotherapeutic community needs 
to, to work on a little bit is realizing that it is so unique to each person. I think we were kind of taught this formula, you know, a five-step grieving process. So when you go through this process, you know, you work from, um, you know, uh, rejecting it down to acceptance, but it really doesn't work that way. It's not a linear process. No. And it's, it's very Absolutely. personal to each person. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, well, I, I don't know. Do we, we have a bad connection. I don't know if it's your. I don't know if it's. I don't think it's my phone. Do I keep mm. hearing clicking going on and off? Do you know if there's something wrong with the phone or? I don't. Know. I just I want everybody. To... Yeah, I'm on my iPhone and I'm hoping that it's going to improve. Uh, if it doesn't, if it gets really bad, I can always call on my on my um, landline. Yeah. Why don't so you Why don't you try know. that? Because we're getting an awful lot of clicking. I'll I'll hold on. We have two okay. hours, and if if you have time, we even sometimes run past the two hours. If people are on the lines, they can run past it. So sure. we're not that we'll lose any time, you know. But okay. I think your message is one of my most important ones, you know, because I want yeah. people to hear what it sounds like from somebody who is a psychologist who is also on the other side now, <clears throat> going through it in their own life. So your message is very important tonight. Thank you. Okay, well, give me just a second, and I'll call in. Okay, honey, thanks. I'm sorry to do okay, that okay. to you. That's okay. Uh, okay. Okay, hang on. All right. Bear with me, audience. Uh, she's calling in from her landline so we can hear her better. <clears throat> and like I said, tonight we're discussing suicide. If you're uncomfortable, um, I guess, you know, we're warning you. It's going to be, you know... Uh, in depth uh, talking about it and our feelings and how to deal with it and it's a very difficult subject uh, dealing with uh, child loss period let alone a child that committed suicide or anyone that's committed suicide I'm hoping this turn I'm going to pick it up hold on Nina is that you hi Peggy yeah is that better oh good yep it's you it was you okay that's fantastic Okay, Okay, I'm going to keep my mouth shut now and let you talk. Um, Tell us what your (laughs) feelings are, which is hard for me to do. I'm a talk show host. Um, Tell us what your feelings were prior to your daughter's death, how you dealt with somebody. And we have some of the questions that you had given me, but let's let's go with these for a little bit, okay? Um, What were your feelings relating to someone before you lost your child? What's the difference between then and now? Um, Tell me what you feel in your own words. Mm-hmm. How you That's relate to someone question. that was okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do relate differently now. I don't have any pat answers today. I think um, I thought I had all the answers until I actually experienced this for myself. Now right. I think the best I can do is be a good sounding board for people, um, be empathetic, allow them to to have a create a safe environment for them to process and feel whatever they're feeling and say what they need to say. Um, I don't think I understood before I went through it how important externalizing the grief is, getting the grief out, being <clears> able to talk to somebody that you trust uh, about right. how, how you're feeling, um, the guilt and, mm-hmm. and the shame that can go with it. Um, it's incredibly right. important to be able to tell your story and not just once. I mean, to tell your story over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wasn't taught that. I don't think I understood the importance of externalizing that grief, getting it out of your system. Um, right. So that's not something, I mean, they, you know, they, I think it was always taught in school that it's important for people to seek professional counseling, but I don't even know if that's so important as it is just finding someone that you trust that you can talk with and be real with, mm-hmm. you know, and not to be an exactly. island. I think that's the main thing. 
Well, I'll tell you, when I lost my first one, my, my only daughter, she was my oldest, she was 28, and she was the mother of two, a four- and seven-year-old. They're healthy, thank goodness. They don't have CF. They were her children, natural children. And here she died. She died. Actually, my daughter died on Mother's Day that year. So talk about <laughs> bad enough, you know, and that we all go through hell on Mother's Day. But she actually died on that day, and I'm like, oh, my God. Well, you know, it's like it was insane. And I'm... I was looking at that point for me, a mother losing, uh, going to a group where a mother losing a child, okay, uh, plus a grandmother, because I had these two small kids, four and seven, uh, a group for them, another, and three other sons, and another child with a, the, the same illness. What kind of group do I look for? I just couldn't find a group to go to. Facebook saved me uh, this time because when I lost my son, it was just four years ago this month, um, it kind of saved me. I was able to vent, and I didn't care if people responded. I just got it out. I got the words. I verbalized what I was feeling, and the anger, and you know the stages of grief, the anger, and the the denial, and the all the rest of it that goes with it, you know, the, the five stages, I think they call it. But mm-hmm. I was able to do it that way and brought me to sanity, I guess. If you think I'm sane, I guess. <laughs> I mean, but it brought me to a my kind of sanity where I was able to um, get the, the feelings out and the emotions and um, and because I just couldn't find the appropriate group for so, so many other people involved, you know. And um, it, it really did. It was a saving grace. And I think the most important thing is to communicate, to vent, and and not listen to others that have not been through it. Because you, as a psychologist and as a mother of a uh, loss of a child, how did you feel? Did people treat you differently after you lost your child, or what did they? Did you go through the snide remarks and get over it? You should know better. Blah blah blah. What did you go through firsthand, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, I, I like to say that I went. Uh, I experienced a double helping of guilt <laughs> because oh, really? um, I did. I did hear um, comments from people like, um, "Well, shouldn't you have known better? And why didn't you see the signs?" And you know, oh, these sort of stereotypical, um, you know, you need to be perfect kind of comments. And I, and I know that it wasn't intended that way, but I think they right. were trying to understand how someone who had been trained in intervening in suicide, you know, mm-hmm. how that could happen to that very person. And and I was actually recently, um, this week, just talking to another counselor who just lost her 13-year-old daughter to suicide. And oh, gosh. she was saying to me the exact same thing that I had felt at first, which was she feels a double helping of shame because, you know, here she's intervening for other people and... and you know, making sure other, other, you know, her clients are safe, the ones that are suicidal, and yet this happens in her own family. And she said even her family is having a hard time talking to her about it and that they're kind of mm-hmm. ostracizing her. And, and I think it's just suicide is an extremely complicated, I think you said that earlier, extremely complicated death. It's a very confusing death. Um, yes. It's hard to understand yep. why these people make, you know, even if they're depressed, it's difficult for us to understand why they would make these kind of decisions, and especially if they have a parent who, you know, has studied psychology or is a counselor. So yeah, I, 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 really... I call it the plumber with the broken toilet, you know, the plumber with the broken <laughs> yeah. toilet here. <laughs> I, I'm very, I like my layman's terms because I'm very real. Yeah, you know, here I am a psychologist and my own child commits suicide. And you, like you said, it's a it's a double uh, double header here because it's like, 
oh my God, it's bad enough I've lost my child and I've lost my child to this and here I specialize in this and you know what the hell are people going to think of me, you know? So that must be very difficult. I can't even imagine what you, you went through and that's why I'm glad that you're on to tell people um, what your personal feelings are on that subject, you know, or mm-hmm. how you dealt with it and how you dealt with people's comments. Well, I'm going to tell on myself and, and tell you that for how I dealt with it was very poorly in the first year. I I just hid in my house. I hid. You know, I, was, I had a fiancé and a puppy, and we just tried to, you know, take care of each other's wounds as much as possible, but I just hid. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I did push right. myself to go back to work um, about mm-hmm. three weeks, actually, after her passing, which for me, right. looking back now, I realized was too soon for me because as soon mm-hmm. as I got back in the office, the very first client I had was a client who had lost her, um, was there to discuss her grief and had lost her husband four years ago and you know sat across from me uh, across the table just crying and saying, I don't know if you can understand the pain that mm-hmm. I'm feeling. Wow. And yeah, that was my first client first day back. And, and I remember grabbing her hand, and because the tears were coming to my eyes. And, you know, as a counselor, you're trained to be objective. You're trained to be a mm-hmm. little removed because you have to have that right. clinical perspective. And yet yep. I couldn't keep the tears from coming um, because it was right. like a mirror. And so mm-hmm. I realized at that point, boy, I don't think three weeks is nearly enough time for me. And so I can say that it really took about a year for me to fully work through my grief. Um but I really just, during that time, I resisted so much getting help because the thought of going to a grief support group and telling them, sitting there telling them, you know, that I'm a counselor and yet this happened to my daughter, I just, I would imagine their faces and it just terrified me. Um, yes. And, and the judgment, you know, I would imagine the judgment. Mm-hmm. But, but right, the interesting right. thing, Peggy, that I found is that although my mind made up all this stuff about how I would be judged, of all Mm -hmm. the friends and family that I've had and that I've had the discussions with about her passing, there's only been Mm -hmm. one friend out of all of those people who ever judged me, who who decided that she didn't want to be my friend anymore because it was pretty obvious that she felt it was, you know, I had something to do with it somehow. Yeah, so there was one friend that I lost over this, but other than that, I think the Mm -hmm. rest of it I just made up in my own head. And everybody right. else, to my surprise, has been overwhelmingly supportive, empathetic, and understanding mm-hmm. that although this is what I do for a job, I'm also a human mm-hmm. being. And I right. have weaknesses and I have blind spots just like everybody else. And so I think that yep. most of what we make up is in our heads most of the time. Yeah. Even, um, I'll tell you, even you know, with the cystic fibrosis, I, I got the things where, you know, I had two children, and then my first one got diagnosed. So, you know, being in the medical field, you know it's genetic. It could happen again, you know. Um, And I was judged like, well, why did you have two more kids after you found out? And I said, well, that's my personal decision. I didn't try to get pregnant, but I wasn't – I just felt like I – I would have never traded a day in with my daughter. It's like anything else. It's a personal decision. Nobody should tell you how to do it or whatever because I said, you know what? None of us live forever. <laughs> I, I, I smacked them right between the eyes. I said, we all come with a plan, and that's where my, what my show is kind of about. We all come with a plan. We all have purpose you know, to teach, and, um, but I won't get off on that subject now. But I, I went through that guilt. People threw the guilt at me too. Well, you should have known better. You should have done. Well, should have, would have, could have. You know, I'm not God. Even though I, I'm intuitive, 
I don't have all the answers. I can't, I can't sit there and give you a full conversation with your loved one from the other side like you want it. I, I, I can't read everybody, you know. They come to me when they want to come to me, and people think I'm crazy doing this, you know, or it's a fake or it's this or that. But I shock some people. You know, I've shocked people that knew me for years that didn't even know I had the gift, you know. I've shocked mm-hmm. myself. You know, so I've I've gotten the criticism, I've gotten the judgment, and even with that, we're losing children to a genetic disease. Okay, so that's kind of a bond we all have. But being that I was also affected by my boyfriend uh, prior to my marriage uh, to suicide, I also know from that aspect too, and that guilt. I we were supposed to be going away on vacation. I come home from work, and everybody's sitting on my front lawn, and then to tell me he shot himself. You know, so I've been touched by that, and that really was the beginning of all my, uh, I wouldn't say horror of my life, but it was the beginning of it all, and how I was going to cope with it and and, and date again or go on with my life, and what did I do that caused him to do this? So I do understand that part of it, and we do have that terrible, terrible guilt, but it's, you know, everybody comes with free will, and um, whether you're young, old, or what, you know, you can, what are, what's the expression, you can lead a, lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink it, you know, there's, I mean, look at someone like Robin Williams, had everything to live for, and he did it, you know, so this is what I, you know, want to hear about, too, besides, you know, I know the guilt, um, how did you cope with the, uh, the, the, the guilt that it seemed like people put on you, too, how did you deal with that part? Yeah, well, I want to talk about that, but one thing I want to rewind to is is uh, okay, one other piece, I think. Oh, no, you're doing great. One other piece, though, that I didn't mention, and I want to mention, is that not only then, you know, do I have to talk to people about my own daughter taking her life, but I also then uh, had to come out of the mental health closet. It kind of pushed me out of this mental health closet because um, mm-hmm. uh, my whole family, my whole life has been overshadowed by depression. I have clinical depression. I have to take a mm-hmm. pill every day for it. Um, mm-hmm. And it's extremely genetic. My paternal grandmother was institutionalized with severe depression. Mm-hmm. My father was bipolar alcoholic. And yep. I inherited the depression uh, predisposition. So unfortunately, right. so did my daughter. Um, mm-hmm. So I decided to begin to write about this so that I could share mm-hmm. from my not only my education and mental health, but more importantly, so I could make public my own experiences with depression and suicide and grief recovery. So her suicide pushed me right out of that mental health closet that I'd been hiding in. Mm-hmm. And so right. once the storm is over, um, not only talks about suicide and grief, but it also focuses on um, how it feels to be someone who has depression, genetic depression, um, right. who's a mental health uh, professional. Yep. Definitely, definitely. And so you asked yep. me how I dealt with it. I, I want to say really mm-hmm. poorly for the first year. <laughs> like I said, I just really hid. And then it, it got to a point where I was having so much anger, unresolved anger. I was angry at the universe for letting this happen. Um, I, I was angry at my, at the time, my fiancé. Um, um, yeah, I was angry at everything. I was, I was seeing red, you know. And mm-hmm, I just mm-hmm. wanted something to blame. I wanted, right. you know, uh, I wanted to project that away from Wanda myself. Punching and, bag. You know, Wanda punching exactly. bag. Exactly. You know. Yep. Exactly. Yep. And I just had so much anger that I came to the point where I realized I'm never going to get out of this trap, this emotional trap yep. I got myself into without reaching out for help. So I reached out to a colleague who's a psychologist and began seeing him, and I saw him, you know, not too long, a little while. 
And the one thing that he had to say to me, well, well, two things that, that really changed the course of my grief recovery for me. The first thing was, he said, you know, Nina, since you're a writer, he said, why don't you, I think it would be good if you began to write just diary or journal what you're going through, your mm-hmm. experiences, just so you can get it out on paper. No one has to see it, but just make it really raw and honest and get it out there what you're feeling. And so I began a journaling process. And actually, this book is really unintentional. I didn't intend to write a book. Um, I was just mm-hmm. journaling my feelings. Yep. And so the, the one comment I've gotten most about this book is right. that it's brave and that it's honest and raw. And it right. is, because a lot of it comes straight from my journaling. So mm-hmm. I, I, it wasn't an unintentional book. Um, but at the, end of, uh, at the end of this journaling period, I realized, wow, you know, I think I might have something here that could help someone else in this right. journey. Yep. So I think the, the that's all part of the plan, I think. Yeah, that's why I did the same thing. I had no no plans to write a book, but I started um like I said, I uh, the first few weeks I got on Facebook, I'm I'm telling everybody F you, leave me the hell alone. I'm cursing, I'm swearing, I didn't care what anybody thought of me. The anger was so intense, you know. This is the second one that's gone. People they had me on suicide watch. I also come from a family of uh I lost a nephew in September severely bipolar to a drug overdose. I lost a nephew 2 years ago to a drug overdose. Uh, my father had uh, manic depression, which now they, I guess they call bipolar. Um, you know, I've had people in my own family. I've watched this too, you know. And then here, you know, I, I'm not going to say I was. I, I've gone into depressions, clinical a couple times, and I had to fight my way back, you know. And I know how hard it is. And I felt venting and, and then writing, and then all of a sudden somebody says one day, you have a book. And I'm like, I had no intentions like you to have a book. But in turn, like I said, that's all part of that plan I talk about, that we all come here with a plan. And uh, we don't know what it is. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So tell us, uh, our, now your, your book, the book is out right now, right? Uh, did it come out yet? Or March 1st, you said? March 1st, yeah, March you'll 1st. be able to buy the book? Okay. Mm-hmm. And the name of the yeah. book again? It is Once the Storm is Over. Okay. And you have a few other books out right now, Walsy. Would you like to give them the names? They're they're all available on Amazon right now, right? Yeah, you can go to Amazon. Um, I've got three books of poetry, and then I've also got mm-hmm. a recovery workbook called Never Enough. And that book has really helped people, interestingly enough. I, I wrote it for addiction recovery, for people who are struggling with addiction and kind of want a do-it-yourself program. So if, mm-hmm. if maybe they're not ready to take that first step to go to a, a mental health professional, um, they can mm-hmm. pick up this, this workbook, and it works it through them. So so you can kind of work through right. it yourself. Um, that right. was the purpose and idea of the book. And so, But I've had, interestingly enough, people who... You know, struggle with different addictions and eating disorders and OCD. It was kind of focused around those three um, treatments for those three things. But interesting mm-hmm. is I've had a lot of people with anxiety say that working through the book has helped them. So anyway, you can okay. find that on Amazon as well. Oh, cool. I just want to make sure everybody, you know, everyone's listening. We have people in the chat room right now and listeners and, uh, you know, where they could find your material. And uh, because I'll tell you, people, it, it really does help. Um, venting, writing, writing uh, I know in my own life, I probably, if I didn't write down what I was feeling or lash out on Facebook, which I did, I was a maniac. I was a maniac. I should have, they probably at that point thought I, w- I should be committed, you know. But I, I just had to get those, that, like you said, that raw, the rawness, that raw, hardcore anger. You know, because there is a lot of anger involved in it, you know. 
you know, whether suicide or natural, if you want to call it whatever, cystic fibrosis or whatever, that there's so much anger, especially losing a child, because um, what's the, the other, me and my cliches, but, uh, you know, you lose a husband or wife, you're a widow or widower. You know, you, you lose your parents, you're an orphan. There's no, did you ever notice there's no name given to a person that's lost a child? There is no name. There's no name. What, what, do, what do we call ourselves? There is no label to us. There's nothing, you know, people like to avoid the issue, you know. We would like to avoid it, but uh, there's no label for that one, you know. But I, I, I totally agree with you on the writing, how much it helps, and uh, and in turn it helps other people. And, I, you know, I haven't read the book yet um, because it's not out yet, but I'm really looking forward to it. I'm really um, – you know, I'm still. It's forty some years since I lost my boyfriend to suicide, and I'm. I'll never heal from that either. Never, never. And uh, but I, I can't wait to read your book. I really can't. You know. But so tell us more about you and yeah. Oh, I, I can imagine. I can imagine. Um, I've seen you. You've had some nice reviews already. You know, people that have uh, said the pre-orders or whatever. You've yeah. had some. Um, yeah, I've been um, surprised. Yeah. Tell you the truth, I yep. I thought it was a decent book, you know, but I've I've just been thrilled. I'm I'm just overwhelmed. I'm just thrilled with um, mm-hmm. the reviews that we're getting. So I'm I'm just excited to see how this is going to um, help people. And I, I do think it's an important book for one reason, and, and I think it's an important book right now in this time in history because um, what we need to do is turn the tide in terms of. Um, the stigma around mental illness. I think that there is, has been mm-hmm. so much stigma. There's been taboo, like you said, about talking about suicide and talking about mental illness, and especially among those of us who've been trained as mental health professionals. So I think this book is very timely in that way. But I want to turn the, the corner here. Since your show's purpose is to explore life after death, I think that your listeners mm-hmm. might be interested in the paranormal activity that happened um, for oh, me yeah. around one-year anniversary. I'll bring it on, Mama. My daughter's <laughs> bring it on. Yeah, bring it on. that's yeah, I want to hear that. I wanted to get to that. You know, like I said, we um, we'll talk more in length. You know, we have quite a bit of time here, and uh, maybe take some calls in a little bit. Uh, but I, I just want to get the points out, and that so they know where to get your materials and and hear firsthand what it feels like. Um, you know, from someone who's been through it. And um, but go ahead, tell let let us know how. Now, what is what was your daughter's name? Her name was Mariah, and she was 15 years Mariah. old. Um, okay. Tell, and tell I, you know, I mentioned earlier that I'm a researcher. I mean, I'm not paid as a researcher, but I'm a researcher. I mean, that's what I. That's right, my passion. Right. That's what I love to do. And if people go to my mental health blog, they're going to find 250 articles. They're all research papers. So I'm a I'm a researcher. And I spent six months of my life after her death researching statistics about life after death beliefs in mm-hmm. America. I wanted to find out for myself what science had to say about this issue, because, again, I'm an open-minded skeptic. Um, And what I found was quite startling. Um, I Mm -hmm. found in the research that about the majority of Americans, about 71% of people, believe in life after death. So Mm -hmm. a good majority of people do believe there's something after this life. Right. Mm -hmm. And... um, 50 million people, about 20% of Americans, feel that they've been the recipient of an after-death contact. Um, Mm -hmm. But most people will not tell you that. Most people are not going to tell anybody because they're afraid that other people are going to think they're off the deep end. Um, Well, that's why for 60 60 years I kept quiet. (laughs) I've had the gift since I was a child, and I questioned my own sanity, you know, and I'm like, does everybody feel this way? Um, is this real? Is this live? Is this Memorex? And I'm like, it all makes sense now. And but 
you know, and I'm not afraid anymore. I'm not afraid to be who I am. It actually gave me peace when I came out, okay? Mm-hmm. I came out and I said, you know what, I'm not holding this in anymore. It's a gift. And I've helped so many people buy it. And it started with all the messages I was getting from my own kids. So I just thought it was like going to be like that. But then I'm like, all of a sudden I'm walking up to people and I'm reading people. I'm doing Teresa Caputo. I'm, I'm in New York too. But I'm doing Teresa Caputo on people. And I'm like, why am I doing this? And they're like, oh, my God, how do you know this? You don't even know me, lady. You know, so tell me about your experiences. I, I, I want to hear them. Yep. So it sounds like, let me ask you a question, Peggy, so I want to make sure I understand. So it sounds like that you were actually mm-hmm. receiving some messages from your children on the other side. Is that what you were saying? I, I've been receiving messages long before I even had children as a child. I've been getting messages from... Uh, uh, our loved one from from people. Period. But I never knew knew it until. Well, I kind of knew something wasn't wasn't quite something was happening. But I kind of pushed it to the side, like you said, because of the stigma attached to it. You know, you're nuts. This isn't real. And then more and more people, like James Van Prague, Teresa Caputo, John Edwards, Sylvia Brown. Well, Sylvia Brown wasn't one of my favorites, but anyhow. Um, more and more were coming out about it, and I said, you know what, just because I'm Peggy Imanisi growing up in Westchester County, New York, doesn't make me any different than Teresa Caputo or John Edwards that I have this gift. And I started telling people about the things that were happening from the get-go with my children. And amazing. I, I, actually, I don't know if you've seen my signs page. I have actual photographs of my sons appeared in other people's pictures. I have videotapes. I have audio. I don't, I'm not just talking orbs here. I'm not just talking like my bestseller. My book's been a bestseller for two years, Rainbows, Butterflies, and One Last Hug. It's kind of an outline of my life. And it goes into the signs, tells you about where I grew up, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's just that's. Tipping the iceberg. Uh, my next books coming out are more in depth, more in tale of the major signs that I'm getting, and I'm not talking like I said, pennies from heaven here, you know. But it's it's crazy. But then all of a sudden, I'm like I said, then it brought me to reading, coming out and reading other people and healing them, which I never, I never in my wildest dreams expected me to be doing this, you know. It, it was insane to me at first. I said, "Oh my God, I, maybe I am off the deep end." But when I'm starting, people are calling on my show, and I'm just here to have them vent. And all of a sudden, I started reading people. That wasn't the intention of my show. It was to talk about their signs. It wasn't like, well, you know, Gloria, who's Gloria, and who's this, and who's that, and names are popping at me. And uh, well, why? What was the thing with your father's license? Why was that important? The antique car. I'm coming out with details. I, to be honest with you, Nina, I didn't know where the hell I was getting it from. It was like flowing from my mouth. And I'm like, this is really weird. So that's got me in tune to who I really was, my life's purpose, you know. But what kind of signs have you gotten from, from um, Mariah? What, uh, did you get signs from her? Had you gotten signs prior? Did you ever lose anybody else that you did get signs from also? Or, or did it start with your daughter? I've never I've never had anybody in my life that passed. This is the first time I've experienced grief. I didn't even have a pet mm-hmm. that passed. And I, I'm oh, really? 51 wow. years old, so I guess I'm pretty darn lucky. Um, mm-hmm. But you know what you're saying about about receiving signs from the other side, and if 50 million people in, in America, 20% of Americans feel that they've been a recipient of this kind of contact, I just can't, that's a pretty significant um, percentage. It's really hard for mm-hmm. me as a researcher to put that aside and say that that doesn't mean anything. 50 million people right. is a lot of people. But oh, I yeah. think that we're afraid to talk about this. And, and yet, you know, as I went deeper into my research, 
it was like what I saw was that a lot of people feel that these these spirits are visiting them for specific reasons that a lot of them have what they called unfinished business between the mm-hmm. departed and themselves. And that was mm-hmm. the case with my daughter and myself. Um, I believe I was the recipient of after-death contact because my daughter was trying to simply communicate a message. And mm-hmm. it was, I don't want you to feel guilty about my death. Exactly. Yep. And yep. I don't want you... Uh, I want you to come to acceptance, and I want you to release me, Mom. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I believe yep. that, that the visitation I received, she just mm-hmm. simply wanted me to forgive myself. And I had carried that guilt and shame for a year and kept the wounds open. And while yeah, I'll yeah. always grieve for my daughter, mm-hmm. and I miss her every single day, I, I had to be willing to keep the lessons but let the pain heal. Yep, yep. I totally I agree to with that. And people, to... people think we're stuck. Some of us, you know, they say, oh, my gosh, you keep going on and on and on. I'm not stuck. I still live life. I mean, and I, I'm limited. I have, I'm going to be 62. I've got MS. I, have a, I use a walker to walk. I have days I can hardly walk. I'm in pain. I can't just go take a stroll or go for a run. And I, God bless people that can do that. So I'm really stuck, limited with my 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 life, you know. But I still, I like karaoke, so I go out once in a while to karaoke. I like to sing. I still do things like I used to do. I'm I'm the same but different, but I haven't lost who I was totally, is what I'm saying. I, Of course, I'll never be the same as I was prior to their deaths, but it doesn't mean, and this is what I'm trying to teach people too, that you can't go on. You can go on. You know, and that's what I feel where my job and someone like you, your job comes in and say, look, we've experienced this. Okay, but we're going to show you. You can continue. You know, my I was on um, Sandra Champlain's show and a few other shows, and she says, I love what you wrote uh, in your, your biography. It's like I try to show you can survive the worst of the worst in life to your job on earth is up. And it's very – I talk in layman's term. I don't talk like I'm brilliant. I, I, I write like I talk, you know. That's who I am. I'm not that I'm a stupid person. I love person, how you but talk. I, I love, don't ever change you. that, Peggy. I love that. No, no, I don't. I love me. I love who I am. I love who I am. And people don't have to, but I'm honest. And I talk so you can hopefully understand, you know. And, um, you know, I I don't pretend to be something I'm not, you know, because I'm not. I've told people I'm not Orson Welles. I've, I've got a poetry book coming out this week, okay? It was uh, called uh, Venting Through Grief of a Mother in Loss of Two Children. And it was just venting poems, but they, they're teaching poems, too. And everybody thought, everything I wrote is about me personally. Now, I counsel myself other – I was in the nursing field for many years. I counsel other grieving parents now I uh, through many groups. I personally do it uh, – you know, I, I just do it as a um, – for free. I, I don't do it as a business. You know, I have a pension and what have you. So I'm basically retired but working harder than I've ever worked in my life, you know. But I'm there to help them through it. I'm there to say, well, this is what I felt. And tell me what you feel, you know, type of thing to open them up. And it's like I – and they, 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 they don't feel like they can go to their sister who hasn't lost a child or their brother who hasn't – you know what I mean? It's so hard, but they know that I've done it, and I've done it twice, you know, and what I want to tell people, too, whether it be suicide or what my children had or leukemia or cancer or anything, the bottom line is we've lost our child. So we have that common bond there, you know, mm-hmm. and 
I don't put one way over another. I mean, I watch my kids suffer terribly. Cystic fibrosis is a terrible illness. Suicide is it's it's the the abruptness of it. I watch two nephews that died of heroin overdose. Okay, um, that I'm dealing with my brother now that lost his son four months ago, and I'm dealing with my niece who lost her son two years ago, um, both to heroin overdoses, and one being severely bipolar and. I don't take anything away from anybody. The bottom line is that we've lost our children, whether it be suicide, like I said, or CF or a drug overdose. It's we all have that mutual bond, you know. The our child's not here in the physical, in the physical. So I try to take them beyond that and say, well, this is what my kids have done since they've died. They've let me know that heaven is real. You know, I did a whole show on that heaven is real, and. Um, I think that helps in the healing process, too, and we need to let people know we're not crazy, we're not evil, we're not working with the devil, you know. I grew up in the – my dad worked for the Episcopal Church, you know. I grew up – I had to go to every service and blah, 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 and I'm still religious, you know, but I was afraid of that gift because of the way I was taught, you know. But now I've learned to think differently that God does give certain people gifts with this, and uh, and I think we can all communicate to a point because, like you said – it helped you with that guilt process. I mean, even with uh, my kids' illness, like I said, I had guilt in my own way with it, you know. We all want to put that Band-Aid on our children. You know, they come in with a skin knee, we want to put that Band-Aid on, you know, so. so yeah, I, uh, I like you. you know. I like mm-hmm. you. I'm just really aware that with grief, some days I feel free and satisfied with my progress, and other days right. I feel like I, I slip back to feeling um, self-loathing about myself and so these feelings that are part of the it's they're far, part of the grief journey and they're going to arise from time to time and so the best approach is just simply to be gentle with myself and, and my progress um but the interesting thing i want to i want to just rewind to we were talking about the research on um after death visitations that 20 percent of americans feel they've been the recipient of one mm-hmm. um and that I felt like my daughter had a very specific message. Uh, we had some unfinished business. Um, mm-hmm. But but I think the thing for me, the main message, was that I had to be willing to be willing to forgive myself totally and completely. My daughter's after right. the visitation heard because she wanted me to know that letting her go wasn't the same as forgetting her. Right. And yet at the time of her death, that's how it felt for me. It was like, well, if I uh-huh. let go of this grief and guilt, then that means... You know, that means I'm going to forget her. And it, and it isn't right. the same. You know, letting right. go of someone, letting them free, isn't the same as forgetting. So um, uh, there's a book, actually, that I, I, I'm a big reader. There's a book that I recommend for suicide survivors. Um, it's, it's an older book. It's by a lady named Dr. Barbara Romer, and the title is Blessing, Blessings in Disguise. Um, right. And she talks about what she calls another side of the near-death experience. And I want to talk about right. this with you because this is your area of expertise, Peggy. Okay. And in it, Dr. Romer finds that even those who were pronounced clinically dead due to suicide mm-hmm. and who had traumatic near-death experiences on the other side, you know, not only right. positive, came back right. to tell about it. And they reported near-death experiences and came back to tell about it, uh, reporting positive spiritual outcomes and change for themselves. That even right. death by suicide is a blessing in disguise, and that's why she named her book mm-hmm. that. So Dr. Romer interviewed like over 300 people for this book, many of them who attempted suicide. And the conclusion right. of her interviews 
were that over 13 million Americans have had near-death experiences and that 18% of those were mm-hmm. less than positive experiences that mm-hmm. for them mm-hmm. at the time were distressing or frightening, and many of the less than positive experiences were due to suicide. But the really? interesting thing that I want to bring out here and, and talk with you about, the interesting thing is that even the most horrifying near-death experiences eventually had a positive impact on the person's life, and they right. became a better person because of it. So mm-hmm. I don't, have you ever heard of this, these less than positive near-death experiences? Yeah, actually, there, there's another book out there that, that one of the first ones I read was by Don Piper, and I, I mentioned that in my first book, Rainbows, Butterflies, and One Last Hug. Uh, he was a minister. He actually was clinically dead, supposedly. I think it was like an hour, they said. And you know, being in the medical field, you're after, what is it, six minutes and no brain activity. I mean, he was an absolute miracle. I, I recommend people reading Don Piper's book. And... Um, you know, he had all these experiences, you know, the negative, the positive, and he he actually died in the car accident, and they brought him back, and it, it was it was crazy. You really got to read the book. But I've heard about people experiencing going to, not heaven, you know, going to a, the, the place of the bashing of the teeth, whether you want to call it hell or purgatory or whatever, whatever, and then coming back and then then rising above it and then reaching out and, and then seeing the light also. You know what I'm saying? But I, I feel that um, when you're brought back like this, because my next book, um, no, I've got four more books coming out, but my book about my son racing Hannes in heaven talks about things like rally. I've seen rally with both my husband and my son. Uh, they died nine months apart. Uh, my husband from diabetes and my son from the cystic. And um, my daughter actually came to both of them before their death and talked to her, talked to both of them, did things. And it made me realize, like, besides the signs that I get from – and my husband was – he grew, you know, grew up Catholic, went to Catholic school as a kid and whatever and didn't believe in any of this, you know. And when I used to tell him even when I used to have kind of things going on during our marriage and, you know, it's like whatever type of deal, you know. Until one night he says to me, um, Meg was there. And my husband and I had separated, uh, but I was still helping take care of him. We were together. We were married almost 38 years. And um, – so he said to me, um, uh, he was falling a lot, and he called me up one night, he go, and he starts, he had this giggle, and he goes, Meg was here. And I'm like, what do you mean Meg was there? He goes, well, I was sitting in my lazy boy watching TV, and I started to kind of, my sugar must have been dipping, and I started to fall forward, and I looked up, and she said, Dad, and she pushed him back on the chair. He was not hallucinating. At first, I thought maybe. Because I question everything that's happened to me, TV's going on and off, washers going on and off, things, things that I've gone through. I, I, I get phones checked out. I get everything checked out, TVs, everything, before I say this was really what I experienced. My son, prior to his death, a month and one day on his father's birthday, which was New Year's Day, my son died February 2nd, 2011. He, um, I was on the way to the hospital. I usually spent day and night with him, but he was at one hospital where he, he needed to go to the regular hospital in the city, but there was no beds. Had to rush him to the local one. I, I had the doctor. I was getting sick because of the MS, and the doctor says, you need to go home and rest because I usually never left him, went home, getting ready to see him that morning, calls me up crying, 22 years old, and he says, Mom, you got to get here. Meg was here. I said, what do you mean Meg was here? He was totally, totally together. He says, I was sleeping. I felt something rub my arm. She woke me up. She says, Mark, you got to get out of here. So my daughter appeared to both my husband and son, okay? Mm-hmm. And they were not on any anything to make them out there. He was totally 
he says he, he, that happened two other times. He wouldn't tell me about the two other experiences. So I write about this there's rally, which um, uh, you know I know I'm going off on a little different tangent, I guess you would say, than talking about um, the, the the definite the negative and the, the positive experiences. But I've heard from both sides, not only from them, you know, with the rally and the appearances, but I've also heard from other people and read other books about this, where they've gone to a place like hell and and then they've seen the light and they come back and they they come back with a more positive attitude. Yep. I mean, have people actually well, said that to you that they felt that they went to hell or, or a place like hell or what? Yeah, I'm going to share some of the research because I think it's really pertinent here, especially with oh, yeah, side of concern. Because one of the most difficult and painful thoughts for me, and this, this, this came to me immediately upon her death, because I was raised in the church like you. Uh, one of the most mm-hmm. painful, difficult thoughts for me was the thought that suicide is considered by the church a sin and, you know, mm-hmm. losing faith in God. And so it was very distressing to me to think that my daughter, who had already suffered genetic depression in life and who had suffered tremendously for years with unrelenting depression, would be somehow could be condemned after death. I mean, that really distressed me. And so this is Mm -hmm. what brought me to do my own research, my own digging. Um, There's another book on near-death experiences that I can recommend. It's called Transformed by the Light by Dr. Melvin Morse. And in it, Peggy, he just says that the transformative element in the near-death experience is this light that people keep talking about, this light that that the people are seeing. And Dr. Brommer believes that in less than Mm -hmm. positive near-death experiences, the absence of the light causes Mm -hmm. transformation in in the person's life. So here's Dr. Brommer. I just want to quote real quick from her. She says, I feel that one sees hears and feels what one needs to to stop and what well, whatever one needs to stop and look back and reevaluate their choices in order to make necessary changes the higher power mm-hmm. the universal consciousness or whatever term you'd like to use caused a change in the type of death experience the cosmic forces on the other side know exactly what the person needs to make them stop and review their actions and beliefs in this lifetime so um, I did find a tremendous amount of research on people who committed suicide, came back, and in each instance, what they talked about was that there was a being of light that always intervened for them and always stepped right. in for them and taught them the lesson that they needed, and then they came back with that knowledge. Um, there's exactly. another author that I'm sure you know about. Her name is Betty Eady. It's E-A-D-I-E. She's she was, oh, God, funny, yes, going, yes, embraced by the light. She was, mm-hmm. when my mother died on uh, Memorial Day weekend uh, in, in 1994, uh, this is kind of a, I talk a lot about synchronicity on my show. Um, my dear friend Ricky, um, who I grew up with, his mom was dying at the same time as my mother, and since it was Memorial Day weekend, he actually left his mo- dying his mother bedside to come to my mother's wake that weekend. Ironically, within two months, his mother died. I'm in a supermarket in a different town from where I grew up, and him and I grew up. He's in there at the same time, and what's on the rack there? He's telling me, Peg, you have to read this book. And that was the very first book I read, Embraced by the Light by, by, by Betty Eady. And he says, I read this book, and I turn around, and I look at the book rack, and here's the book, and I grabbed it. 
Actually, I was on a show, uh, same show with, where Betty Eady was on. I was amazed, and here, you know, the years later, she's on the same show I was on. You know, it's an amazing, amazing book. And that was—it's funny you brought it up because it was that was probably the first book I read after um, my mom and dad had passed a year apart. Yep. Amazing it book. is an important book. It is an important book. And, you know, in it she says this about, about near-death experiences and the less than positive near-death experience is that she says, in my mm-hmm. opinion, both types of experiences are gifts from God. So right. uh, I believe that those who, um, you know, pass to the other side due to suicide, because it's genetic, because they're dealing with a mental health issue, depression, I truly believe right. in my heart that these people are sort of hospitalized when they get to the other side and mm-hmm. that they're healed. And um, right. that's what I believe. I, I, I okay. certainly have a hard time believing that anything else than that could happen for these people who genetically, you know, have a predisposition to this. If it, it, No one wants mm-hmm. to die by suicide. It's a, it's a terrible no. way to die. It's a painful, lonely, yep. scary way to die. No one would yep. choose to die that way. And so yeah, I it's, it's totally believe if I can have enough you know, if I can have grace and mercy um, mm-hmm. and understanding for someone that has a mental illness, why couldn't the divine? Right, right. Well, you know, I kind of say to people, being a parent, our kids can, like, do the worst of worst in life, too. And we are we try to forgive them. Can you imagine what an all-loving God does for, I mean, we're all his children. How could he not forgive things, you know? Um, I believe life is totally just less than we choose our plans. Somebody was just writing in my chat room about this um, and uh, asking questions about what do you feel on this. Uh, I said, well, I believe we do come with a plan to learn whatever lessons. I don't understand why because I'm not God, like I say. Well, none of us are. We'll know when we get there. But I believe that we choose a plan. I don't know why, like I said, but um, I – Looking at what I've been through personally, you know, losing every, you know, everybody, and then I was a victim two years ago to Hurricane Sandy. I lost everything I owned and was almost killed that night and another child, okay? Um, still, my house is still not 100%. We were in a hotel for six months. No shoes, no clothes, nothing. Lost everything. My memories. Lost my pictures, everything. After all the losses. And I, I looked up at God after that happened. I said, why? How could I, why would I choose this? I guess we're not supposed to understand it, you know. I just know going through all this, I am more – I've always been a nurturer since I was a kid to people. But I know I'm even more empathetic and more sympathetic than I ever was. I feel that I have to represent – if I can go through all this to teach others, you can go through this, you know, without you know, taking my own life. I mean, there were times – after my son, I told you I was on suicide watch for five weeks because I told everyone, if I go through this again, I'm not doing this again. I can't do it again. I just can't. And I really felt that way. And then it was only by the grace of God that I was saved. But I guess I didn't choose to come back and do it that way. I I don't understand it. You know what? I can't give you a direct answer on that, Nina, what what my true feelings are on that. You know? I don't know. know, There's there's another author that comes to mind here. Her her name's Roberta Grimes, and she wrote a really great book called The Fun of Dying, (laughs) which I love that that title. Really? But... Yeah, but she wrote a book that just refers to all the events, both good and bad, we go through as a lesson plan and that we mm-hmm. wrote before we were born. And, you know, talking about Sylvia Brown, Sylvia called them our life charts, and I like to refer to them as life's blueprint. You know, you can call it what you right. want, but I believe that we do come into life with a set of unconscious blueprints, and I, I think we're not mm-hmm. consciously aware of it. We can't remember what we agreed to or why we wrote it the way we did. 
um, I do yep. think that that they were created for our soul's evolution. And I, I think mm-hmm. just like an architect's blueprint, that we can change a certain amount of it. Uh, for example, right. my blueprint might assign me some kind of mental illness, such as depression, which is true. I inherited my family's depressive gene. I get to right. choose how I'm going to respond to it. And because we're free, free will. will beings, we yeah, live in a free will you. universe. So it's yep. not predestination, and it's not even pre-programming. I just think it's an obstacle course of challenges that right. each person is given. Maze. It's overcome. a maze. The maze. Yep. It's a maze. The maze. We're running I like through that. that maze. Yeah. We're, we're running for through the, the maze. Keys, aren't we? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Some of us are squirrels in a cage, but. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that's well, like I said, I try to make thing. light, but yeah. <laughs> And, you know, sometimes we learn what we needed to learn, and sometimes we don't. And, and then, you know, if we don't, we have to learn these lessons over. But yep. I think being incarnated and being in a body is kind of a gift. because yep. And I especially yep. feel this since my daughter's death, because we're perfecting ourselves and we're working out our karma here. Um, yep. And, you know, we're here. what we're here to learn, I think, is simple. I think we're just here to mm-hmm. learn how to love ourselves, how to Thank love you. each other, and the importance of forgiveness. And I just think yep. that we learn these lessons of how to love and the importance of forgiveness um, throughout our whole lives and learn them in many different ways. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you you think that loving and forgiving would be easy, but we all know how difficult it can be. It can be very difficult. Oh, I to still, to this day, I get, I'm, I'm going to lie, I get pissed at people. I There's people, you know, I, I've, I've had to delete people from Facebook and I actually was a person that would friend everybody. People kind of laughed at me in high school because I never did drugs, and then I didn't do this and do that, but I hung out with the gray singers. You know, I, I, I grew up in the 50s, 60s, 70s, you know, graduated in 71, and I hung out with the greasers. I hung out with some of the druggies. And not that I, and my mother said, don't hang with these people. Birds of a feather flock together. I said, baloney. I hung with all types of people. Didn't mean I did drugs. Didn't mean I was, you know, Fonzie with the rolled up cigarettes with the greasers. You know what I'm saying? I um I felt like I needed to experience being around all sorts of people for whatever reason, you know. But now I'm finding as I've gone through this and I've gotten older, we have to kind of like look at our life like a garden and we have to weed out, okay? Uh, we can't save everybody. I think we all come with a specific job to save maybe me saving other parents that have lost child to genetic illness, you saving other parents that have lost a child to suicide. We all come with a different, well, a similar plan, but a different plan. What's your feeling on that? Yeah. Do you feel like the older you get, your, your your ideas change, your your way of life and your way of thinking changes? I know mine has, and drastically in the past I, few years. Yeah, I do think that we plan the negative as well as the positive things before we come here, and even the most profoundly negative events um, like mm-hmm. suicide, are allowed so that we can learn right. from them. And I, I think those people who have taught us these soul-changing lessons are our soulmates. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we're kind of taught to oh, think yeah. of soulmates as these blissful, intimate connections, and I, I believe they can be. I believe there are mm-hmm. those kind of wonderful soulmates, but I also think there's other kind of soulmates too. And you know, I refer to my daughter as my soulmate in my book because oh, yeah? losing her ta- taught me about more about love and forgiveness than anything else that I've ever experienced. Yeah. And I've grown tremendously as a result. But would I ever want to give that gift of grief to anyone else? No, I wouldn't want no. anyone to go Hell through no. this kind Mm-mm. of 
No, it's the yeah. worst of the worst, like I say. That is really. And I believe that, too, because I'm, I'm going to share a little bit of an experience. Um, my husband and I split years back, not because, you know, I was with somebody. He was, it was just It just wasn't happening. I just, we just, it wasn't happening. We actually lived in the same house for many years after, separately, not that we were dating or anything, you know. And then time went on, and I met a couple people, and I was uh, involved in a um, romantic uh, situation somebody living with me during my husband's dying process and my son and he was like a stepdad to my kids and he even helped with my husband he was great and then um be two years ago this june he went bonkers he went crazy i had to put him in jail he went nuts okay uh abusive i went through something terrible i'm I'm not going to go into details on the show but I had to put him in jail. He needed to get help. He had issues. But this was, and you talk about soulmates, whether it be bad, good, or ugly. He was my soulmate. I mean, there were so many similarities about our lives and what have you, what have you. And then it felt like um, when we were just talking about the maze, he took that wrong turn in the maze. So he continued to be a soulmate, meaning teacher, uh, teaching me to understand me, to understand things. He took a turn in the maze that I could no longer follow. You know what I mean? And But like you said, that we have different soulmates on different levels. You know, and um, um, and I believe there some can be, you know, they're not all negative. I mean, they can turn into like that, turn into a negative experience at the end. It wasn't all negative because I don't think I could have during that those years with him couldn't have continued on the way I did with what I was going through at the time. He was very supportive, slept at the hospital, or my own husband didn't do that with my daughter that died years, you know, eight years before my son. He was doing things that my husband wouldn't even do. And I was like, oh my God, I worshiped the ground the guy walked on and then he, well, he he had a substance abuse, uh, alcohol abuse problem and went nuts one night. Like, I'm sure he doesn't even remember, but I, I had to say, I had to sever the ties, and I had to say, you know what, it's not worth losing my life because I don't know what he's capable of now, you know. And uh, but he also taught me. He taught me something. He taught me that I can be strong. I don't have to have. Um, I would love a relationship. I have people interested, but I, I feel right now the past almost two years, I had to learn who I was. My whole life, I had this uh, identity. Uh, I got married at 19. My daughter was born six days before I turned 20. We were married like 10 months when she was born. Um, and then I had to deal with the children with, the, you know, four kids. and Not deal with, but that's what I was given. And, and I mean, to come out wrong. And then two kids with this illness, and that's all I knew for 30-some years were, you know, the illness and what have you. And I really, in that process, I was so busy taking care of everybody else, I didn't know who I was. And then I got into this relationship, and I, after, you know, and then my son passes, and now I'm down to two kids, one living in Carolina, I live in New York, and one at home, and lost half my identity, you know, wife, mother of four, now mother of two, and kids are grown, and who am I? You know, I lost who I was. I had to take this now from my soulmate experience with him and learn to be alone for a while. You know, I do. I like being alone at times. No, I, I would love a male companion at this point. And I have friends I talk to and whatever. But I have to be ready. I had to learn to be um, be on my own for a little bit. You know, do you, do you understand where I'm coming from? Well, like from it or this? not, you know, you were taught this soul changing lesson. Yes, yes, mm-hmm, yes, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah, and you and know, like I've you heard said, it said. Yeah, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. I, I've heard it said one thing that I just love this. Um, somebody said to me one time, we only learn when one of two things happen. Number one, we mm-hmm. learn when it hurts bad enough that we have to change. We have to change the relationship. You know, we have to make different decisions. We have to get away from those people. And then when that happens, we start to grow. So sometimes it has to hurt bad enough for us right. to make a decision to grow. <laughs> because we just right. want things to stay stable, for goodness sake. You know, as long as it's stable, <laughs> I'll stay in it. And it is difficult to make those changes, and sometimes it has to hurt bad enough, you know, like you're saying. Um, or, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes we can even change when we have enough education and information that we choose to change. But, you know, mm-hmm. I certainly would always prefer to change because I'd chosen it rather than the hard way. But I think when these things happen, when these things, these storms come into our lives, you know, like hurricanes, and they demolish everything in our lives, oh, yeah. just happened. level everything. To me. And you've got I mean, nothing I was left. being warned. I, I Hurricane Sandy. I live on the river in New York. I did not. I do not live in Manhattan. I live thirty miles north. I just happen to have you know beach property, and um, I was warned all day: get out, get out, get out. You know, I, my neighbor lived here. My next door neighbor, fifty-five years. We've had several hurricanes over those years, and four miles from where I grew up. Okay. It never came up the water, okay, to this level. Well, by fluke, by the circumstances at night, I'm thinking, well, it never happened before. I, the year before Irene, I left for three days, nothing happened. I said, I'm not going to spend all this money staying in a hotel for nothing happening. Well, with the surge that night, never expect. I really didn't expect it. The boy who cried wolf, you know. And, um, well, I say that wrong all the time. People make fun of me. Um, but what happened was within 15 minutes, all of a sudden, I got white caps coming through my house. And I had my worst exacerbation of my MS the first time in my life I couldn't walk at all, at all. Um, I had to use a commode. I've never been that bad since I've got relapsing remitting. I've come back, you know, walking again. But I'm like, how the hell am I going to get out of here now? I mean, it got to the point the ambulance couldn't come for me. Um, they got me in the car, drove me around to save me. My boyfriend went back, saved my other son, my dog, and by the time he got back, thank God for someone came through with a front-loading truck. They got him on the front-loader. That's the only way they got out. I had three feet of water in my living room. I still am living without a living room, by the way. It's two year, over two years later, right, or two years later. Um, six months in a hotel, lost everything I owned, you know. Did I expect this? No. Did I think, God, can you do any more to me? <laughs> you know, you've taken my children. You've taken my family. Now you've taken my memories. You've taken my clothes. That can be replaced. But now you've taken my pictures. And thank God for family because they're the ones sent me pictures. And whatever you see on Facebook is things that have been sent to me. And I'm like, what am I supposed to learn with this? You know, what, how much more am I supposed to learn? <laughs> you don't expect this, you know, that uh, that hurt. I mean, nature is crazy. You, it's unpredictable. Life is unpredictable. You know, um, that's why I tell everybody we need to live in the moment, you know, and, and we need to um, go on no matter what it takes. You know, we're going to have, like you said, you, you, we still have our bad days. We get up and it's, some days it's hard to function at all. We go through the children's, uh, the dates of their loss. Now, how long has it been since you, your daughter passed? Uh, two and a half years. Two, year, two and a half two years. Two and a half years. Yeah, do you find it hard, difficult on her birthday and on her death date? Do you still go? Not, I'm not saying a relapse, but how, how do you how do you deal with it? I mean, does it get to you those days more than others, or how do you react to it? Oh, absolutely. Um, in my book, I okay. talk about um, just after her death. Uh, she was 15, and her 16th birthday happened three weeks after her death, <laughs> and. 
you know, my, wow. my mom and I had planned a big Sweet 16 birthday party for her at my parents' new home and a big barbecue, and, and you know, everybody was set to be there. The whole family was going to be there to mm-hmm. celebrate her. And on her 16th birthday, three weeks after her death, my mom and I were just so devastated, we couldn't even talk on the phone. We just emailed each other. Yeah. We couldn't even talk about it. Yeah. So, um, you know, these things happen especially hard during holidays um, because you're sitting there at the table where she usually sat and there's an empty chair and everybody's just avoiding talking about the empty chair. I mean, it's it's incredibly painful and there are these um, sneaker That's ways that, that one just of the poems come in, I wrote, Yep. Mm-hmm. I wrote, a, I wrote a, a poem about a year ago and thousands went crazy for it. It's called Empty Chairs at the Table. You know, I have my friends that talk about, um, you know, their kids go to college and they did, and but you know, I said there's a difference. We have the empty chair syndrome. Your kids come home from college, ours don't. So we have the empty chairs at the table. And I wrote something about that, you know. And it's like mm. it's true. It's like it's very different, you know. We have the emptiness too, but our birds are flown, you know. You know, they're and not the birds in the are nest never waiting back. That's you what know, I said. Our birds yeah, are never coming back. Yeah. And we've had to say goodbye to them forever, at least until we get to the other side. So it's it's the, the celebration times when she should be there. You know, I know she's there in spirit, but she should be yep. there. And and I think those are the roughest times. You know, the the celebration. Well, I. T- I talk about it. My niece used to get mad at me on the show. She she usually co-hosts with me, but she's very involved with her work right now. And I used to call it my lemon to lemonades, you know, um, that um, I instead of my kids, I still celebrate my children's birthdays. But what I do, my son's birthday is November 30th. So every year on his birthday, I get together. I have friends with restaurants, and we have a big fundraiser with he drove race cars, and his car buddies come with their cars, and we, we, we collect toys for other kids that are sick. So I celebrate their birthdays this way by doing fundraisers on the birthday, which feels like I'm giving them something. And I know they're supporting me doing this. So I, I turn the lemons into lemonade because I just can't imagine me sitting here on their birthday and not doing anything. You know, I get cakes. I get uh, balloons. I do balloon releases. And I help other people in their in their memory. So That's, that's beautiful. You know, I, really beautiful. That's, yeah, I think you know, that's you're what creating your own. You're creating your own um, – ceremony there, you know, to honor their mm-hmm. lives, and yeah, it is and I, that I recommend empty chair at parents. the table. Yeah, yeah it's it that is. empty yeah. chair at the table that everyone's avoiding looking at, and you know, it just so comes back to mind as you're talking about that, her 16th birthday was coming, and I, I didn't even know where to Aww. begin. I I wanted to buy her a sweet 16th birthday card that caught my eye uh-huh. in the postal store, and I'm standing right. there in the postal store. It was such a poignant moment, but I don't know who right. I'm buying it for. Am I buying it for me? Or am I buying it for her? And does she even know it's her birthday? Can she see me standing frozen in the store, not knowing if it's healthy or unhealthy to buy your dead daughter a birthday card that she's never going to see? It's like well, I went to my life is going to home. I know, but you know what? This is where I come in. This is my expertise. She sees what you're doing, and you're not just doing it for you. You're doing it for her. She sees it and she loves it. Okay, Mm -hmm. being in tune. That's why I'm so glad I do have this gift because I can, I can guarantee you, she does see that. Okay, yeah. and yes, you are. It's not selfish. Don't think that's selfish. You are doing it for for her, but you're also doing it for you, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. She wants that. She wants that. We're not supposed to forget them. How do you forget someone that grew inside of you nine months, or you adopted and had since they were a baby? How do you forget? I don't take that away from people either. How do you? You don't forget them. That's what people say to me. Like I've had people tell me, "Go on, forget them." Really. 
or you have other children, and I did a whole show on that, what to say and what not to say to a grieving parent. Um, you have other children. Yep, and I look at them and I say, well, which one of yours would you trade in? You kind of have to smack people between the eyes with it sometimes, the reality of it. My two other boys are individuals. My Meg and my Mark were individuals. My two other boys, of course I love my other kids and I do for them. But they're not them either, you know. Uh, they they were twenty, almost twenty nine years and twenty two years of my life of Christmas and birthdays and giving birth to them and taking care of them. How do you forget that? You can't forget it, and people need to stop thinking that we can forget them and we shouldn't forget them. Should you go on with your life? Yes, yes, definitely. I've seen many parents that are stuck. And I call it stuck on the beach. You, 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 you. I'm trying to throw you, and hopefully you too, a life, the, the life preserver. Get in that life preserver. Climb on there. Get back in the ocean. Start swimming again. Okay? That's yeah, the only that's way beautiful. I can say I love that little... analogy. Yeah. 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 And I mean, Peggy, you're right. Healing doesn't mean that you weren't damaged. It just means that right. we don't allow that damage to monopolize our whole lives. That's all it means. Right. And you know, well, that's what I'm trying to say. Like, yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. As a griever, it's like my life is full of these awkward moments and like being Mm -hmm. asked how many kids I have, you know, and I I have three kids, but one of them passed, you know, and I just kind of say it real quick as if, you know, to lessen the impact. But, you know, when you and then you receive condolences in a way, it's comforting having people say that they're sorry and it's affirming, you know, when they say, oh, my Mm -hmm. gosh, I could never live through losing a child. And and I think to myself, well, you'd live through it. All right. You just wish you hadn't. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, people people ask me, how do you do it? You know what I say to them? Well, I used to be that person, too, like looking at other people because dealing – I worked for uh, on the side for many years. I was the volunteer coordinator for the CF Foundation since the 70s besides my regular job, and I worked with other children. With My daughter, too, she was poster child for years. She got the humanitarian award, you know, helping other kids with it. So I was dealing with my own. I was dealing with people, other people, and watching their children die of it. And I still do. I still work with other parents with uh, that are losing their children now to that and other things, and that I'm supporting ones that also have children with it and giving advice when they need it and what have you. But the thing is, um, I was that mother too, saying, "Oh my God, if I ever lost a kid, what would I do?" And then I people go, "How do you do it?" I said, "Well, you have two choices in life: you either do or you don't. You continue or you don't." You know, I mean, yeah. that's our free will again, you know. And uh, what else can you tell people? I mean, how else are you supposed to do it? I chose to make the le- the lemonade, you know. Um, other people want to, you know, get stuck and sit there with the lemons, you know, and not no, not add the sugar to it. Not that there's any sugar coating for any of this is what I'm saying. But um, I think from my point of view and I think from your point of view, and then we're both showing people this, that we are making the lemonade that we are taking um, our children's memory and doing something positive with it. And I know, being intuitive, like I said, that this is what they want us to do, and it's all part of the plan, you know. And um, that's about it, you know. Yeah, yeah. How do you feel about that? That's the gift that pain Mm -hmm. can bring us if if we allow it. It's all about allowing it to transform us. Um, Pain is the soul's big opportunity to be transformed, but... You know, when, I couldn't have told you that, though, two and a half years ago when I was going going through this. I wouldn't have ever told you that I would be here today talking like this. I mean, I thought right. my life was destroyed. I thought, that's it. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. it for me. I'm done. I'm shattered. Yeah. I'm never going to be able to pick up all the pieces of my soul, and that's exactly how mm-hmm. I felt. And yeah. so when people come to me 
broken and hopeless and not being able to see past, you know, the end of their own nose because the pain is just eclipsing everything. I understand that, mm-hmm. but there is another yeah. side, and, and I think it's just like time really can help to heal. But I think, you know, yep. it's also important that we reach out to one another and be real about what we're going mm-hmm. through. It wasn't until I started getting really real with myself, like taking yep. a really hard look at what it is I did well as a parent and where I could have done better as a parent, just taking that honest inventory for myself, Mm -hmm. that a healing started happening. It's kind of like, you know, there's this old saying, and I love this saying, and I've said Mm -hmm. this so many times to clients, about pain and about facing, about sitting with our pain and being willing to face our pain, is that um, if a dragon sits in front of you long enough, after a while, the only thing left to do is to slay it. Right. It's like... After a while, you can only face this thing so many times until you begin to have to tell yourself the truth and other people the truth. So the most freeing thing you can do is to tell yourself the truth about what happened and then, you know, start telling your truth to others. Even if your voice Mm -hmm. shakes, go ahead and tell your truth. Well, that's what I do. That's why I say, you know, my my show is kind of laid back. I call myself Howard Sternett. Not that I do the crazy stuff he does. I just show that I can still laugh. I can still have fun. I can still communicate, I can still help, I can still go on, you know, not that I'm any better than anybody else, I mean, because I still have my down days, trust me, I'm human, we're all human, and even having my extra gift being intuitive, I'm still human, my human side hurts on those birthdays and Christmas, and I go off on Facebook still about it, I post pictures and whatever, that makes me feel better, you don't have to look at my page, you don't have to be on my page, I'm doing it for me, I'm not asking for you to respond you know, I have people <clears throat> during these times, I call the uh, the vultures on Facebook, okay? <clears throat> they friend you. They're on your pages. These are some people I've known forever, right? And they don't wish you a happy birthday. They never say anything nice to you, but they, they sit, they, like, they're like um, predators. They sit and they wait to throw something negative at you. You know, this happened around the holidays this year. And on top of everything, I lost two very good friends uh, two weeks before, within two weeks of Christmas, 12 days apart. These were the two main people in my life that I used to go to when things happened. And all of a sudden, I, I went into a different type of um, down. And I said, who do I go to them about them? <laughs> These were two very significant. There was another lesson. And I'm like, how do I deal with this? And I'll tell you, I really was very close during this holiday season with a clinical depression. It really hit me again, okay? Knocked me right down. And then I sat there. I came out of it. It took a while. You know, I talked myself, and I said, okay, why this happened? How do you deal with it? What do you do? And it led me to something else, okay? And it gave me another purpose, okay? And, um, you know... uh, I guess I don't know if anybody can do it. I think we should all just keep trying. It's, it's a thing, no matter what you go through in life. My my um, my um, well, I don't know. I, I don't I don't want to sound like I'm giving a speech to people. I just think we we should all just keep going and trying and just. I think it's rewarding to help others, you know. And whether it be the way you're doing it, whether the way I'm doing, it, we all come with different gifts. That's what makes the world go around, you know. Yeah. And um, well, there's, you there's know. a phenomenon that I want to discuss with you in uh, bring into this okay. this um, discussion, and it's called post-traumatic growth. Have you heard about that? Right, Peggy. Post-traumatic nope. growth. Nope. You hear all about the, oh, the well, post-traumatic stress, but not that one. No. <laughs> right. Well, well, the interesting thing is the other side of the coin uh, for post-traumatic stress 
is post-traumatic mm-hmm. growth. And so what psychology right. is teaching is that um, despite the pain and trauma and loss that we go through, despite the guilt and shame, um, the message of my book is that whatever storm you're facing, whatever trauma it feels like you'll never live through, not only will you right. survive it, but, but pain is this opportunity um, uh, for the soul to grow. And when the soul says yes to growth, um, mm-hmm. post-traumatic growth begins to happen. So, so bad things can actually cause growth in us, and it can actually expand our souls, and it can expand our awarenesses. It can make us more compassionate, empathetic people. And yep. so I like to call it post-traumatic joy. Right. Post-traumatic joy, because believe it or not, that's what has come for me out of out of all of this tragedy, is that mm-hmm. I decided I wasn't going to... Fo- it's a matter where you focus. I decided I wasn't mm-hmm. going to focus on the pain. I was going to focus on what I was learning from the pain. Exactly. And that's when, what I'm when doing. you start doing yep. that, that can bring some growth, yep. and it can actually yep. expand your horizons. So it is possible to experience this kind of growth and joy. But, you know, the one yep. thing I want to mention is I think this kind of pain forced me to have what I might call a spiritual awakening. Yes, um, me too, even more so than before. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I heard that when you were talking about that, and I wanted to touch on that because it feels like it just pushed me into more of enlightenment, you know. And when I say enlightenment, mm-hmm. I, I just mean like a surrendering, you know, surrender, wave right. the white flag, okay, life. I'm, yep, yep. you know, I'm just Ollie, Ollie as low as I can you say. Say. <laughs> <laughs> No, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. <gasps> yeah. So just surrendering of my own will and that egoic part of me. You know, yep. and and that's what pain can do for us. So it is a gift. How did you it's feel prior? Gift, it's I, a gift. Yeah. How did you feel prior um, being a psychologist, um, prior to losing your daughter about um, life after death? That I, I know you said you were religious, and I don't even lump religion and spirituality into the same uh, category anymore. I mean, you can have both. I have both. Okay. But they're, I find them two different things. You know, I, 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 there's a part in my book I say um, I, I came out, you know, came out of the closet as far as being a psychic, a, a medium, intuitive, whatever you want to call me. I, I don't know what to label me. Okay, I've had many gifts with that. But um, when I came out and telling people, I said I'm more spiritual. I have religion still, and I, I, there's a part, like I said in my book, I, I write, you know, I come out and I tell you I do this, I do this, and a lot of people think I'm nuts or going off the deep end. Even though I've proved myself over and over again to people I don't even know. And you still have people question, well, was that show set up? Yeah, yeah, I'm telling people from Ireland to call me. Get out of here. No, it's not set up. I don't know. 99% of the people that call my show, I don't even know them. Okay, I've never heard of them before. Okay. Well, it's, no, it's not a game. It's real. You know, I'm not, and I'm not making big bucks. I'm not charging anybody. Okay, I don't, I have yet to charge anyone doing this. Okay. I'm just using it as my gift. All right, so the point I'm trying to make here, in my book I write, you know, you, religious, you know, and I'm not putting any religion down because I, you know, I grew up in the Christian church. I also had a grandfather who was Jewish, okay? So I've, I've had a little bit of everything in my life, okay? And I say you sit in the pews or the pulpit or, the, you know, in the church, and we go there on Sunday or Saturday, whether it be synagogue, and we listen to the preacher or the rabbi telling us there is life after here, and, and then we leave there, and then you kick back, you go watch a football game, have a few beers, and forget what you learned, okay? But yet you go there every week like a ritual, 
okay? And then I come out and I'm telling you that my loved ones have contacted me or I give you a reading and I'm crazy or I'm a phony or I'm nuts or, you know, you know. What is wrong with people? <laughs> you know, what is? Do you, do you understand where I'm coming from? It's like, why do we bother going to church? And then, and, and then I come out and I tell you that I, this happens, and I'm doing the same thing. I'm not sitting here doing Ouija boards or crystal balls or tarot cards. I don't do any of that stuff, okay? But I'm telling you the same thing to bring you closer to heaven and God. Why do you bother going to church then? Is what I ask or synagogue if you don't believe this. Do you find that with a lot of people? Um, you know, what was your feeling prior to your daughter's death as far as spirituality, uh, as far as uh, signs coming from loved ones? You said you researched. Did you research it prior to her death or just after? You know, I, I always had an interest in this subject because I was raised in a conservative religious church, and um, you know, I mm-hmm. was made to go to services three times a week, and we sat in the front pew. <laughs> and right. you know, I did that until I was until I left the house. So, I, I was right. raised in a very religious home. I, I think, you know, now as an older person looking back on my childhood, I think that it wasn't necessarily a spiritual home as much as it was mm-hmm. a, a religious home. And you made that distinction earlier. Right. Um, the, the interesting thing here, we were just talking about post-traumatic growth. The interesting thing is that the characteristics, some of the characteristics of people who have this growth occur due to pain are mm-hmm. a couple things I just want to mention, because one of those things is spirituality that happens. Mm-hmm. So right. one thing that happens when we grow from pain is that we have more intimate relationships, so we're able to open up to one another in more intimate mm-hmm. ways. Okay, It opens the soul. It opens the heart. Um, right. Our priorities change, so it's, we kind of right. shift away from things and kind of begin to focus maybe more on people um, as the, the true valuables of life. Um, right. We become more ex- extroverted, so we're we're able to talk more and share more from our lives, and we're more open uh, to th- different things and different people, and we're more we're kinder mm-hmm. uh, to one right. another. Uh, we we feel stronger as a person, mm-hmm. but but another aspect of people who um, have this kind of growth is that they become more spiritual people. They have spirituality comes into their lives, and they start embracing spiritual growth. So um, I would have told you that I was a spiritual person before. I think I always believed that there was something out there bigger than I was Mm -hmm. that had created all of this stuff. Um, and, And I think, you know, I really thought in terms of traditional, you know, there's a God, and, you know, and when you're good, God rewards you. And when you're bad, you know, God punishes you. And sometimes mm-hmm. even when you're, you know, you are not meaning to be bad, you get punished. I mean, it was kind of a very conventional idea of God. But today, I think the idea of death has completely changed for me. And mm-hmm. I don't see it anymore as the end of things. I think I see it as just the next phase of life. Well, that's that's one of the things when I was on uh, Sandra Champlain's show where Edith, um, you know, Betty Edie was on, too. We weren't on at the same time, but we both did the show. And we we discussed that uh, uh, Sandra Champlain, she lost a father and I think a grandparent, and, you know, never had children, whatever. But she had losses, and she, like me as a child, even though I was brought up in the Episcopal Church, I, you know, I had to sit through all three services every Sunday because my dad worked there. And when he got done, I had, that's when we left. You know what I'm saying? So, um, whatchamacallit, I, um, 
I had this fear of death because it was since I was a little kid, you heard about it. It's like, oh, my God, I don't want to go anywhere, you know, and I used to have, like, panic attacks about it as a kid. Well, that's where I shared with Sandra Champlain that does uh, We Don't Die Radio, and I recommend her show. It's unbelievable. She's had Betty Eadie on there and many others. And um, anyhow, she did the same thing. She had this fear of death. And as she got older, she actually got into – went to, like, uh, psychic classes, and I said to, to most people – you know, if you're gonna, if you, if you, you're not a psychic and you go take a psychic class, it's not going to make you a psychic. It's not like you, you, you're playing violin and you don't do it well, and you got to, you know, you can learn to play better. But if you're not going to be a violinist, you're not going to be a violinist. My father taught, tried to teach me accordions, and he was also a uh, certified music teacher. I still, I play by ear. I can't sit and read a note. I'm, I'm ADD with that. Okay, I just can't, couldn't do it. Okay. We all come with a gift, okay? Doesn't mean everyone's going to be a psychic, whether you go to a psychic school or not. You, I think we all have intuition to some point. We are all capable of receiving signs from personally from our loved ones. I think yes. But can you read me? I don't think so. I mean, I don't know if you can or not. I don't know if you have a gift. Um, I really, you know, we haven't talked about it. But not everybody can read me, and not everyone can read somebody else. That's what I'm saying. Okay, it's kind of like uh, we can't all be Michelangelo or 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 or, or paint cathedrals, or you know what I'm saying. Uh, we're not all artists, you know. Um, we all come with a special gift, you know. But anyhow, yeah. she actually went to this class. She told me on her show. To disprove, she was a skeptic, to disprove it. And then she learned that she had a gift. And I said to her on her own show, I said, I think something deep down you already knew you had a gift. That's why you did it. And that's why you had to go through with this. I think anybody that chooses to go, and, and they're skeptic because they're afraid of the gift. I, I had panic attacks as a kid because of the things that were happening, and I'm like, I didn't understand it. Now I'm even though what I've gone through, I tell people I have peace in my life. Yes, I miss my children. I miss the physical presence of my children. But I also knowing by the signs and the gift I have, they're fine. I'm not. You're not. We're okay. We're okay. We're here. We're breathing. And I may have a mess and hurt and whatever, but I'm okay. You know. But they're fine. They're good. They're not in pain. They're not sick. They don't cry. You know. Um, it taught me. Um, that's what my gift taught me, and, and that's what her, her going to this this classes she went to, and instead of becoming a skeptic, and now she's working with it. You know what I mean? But yeah. I think anybody that <laughs> does, actually, it's kind of funny. It, it's it's weird in a way. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But she went there to disprove it, and then she be- comes out something out. Yeah, it you know, does something. change you when you go through these things. Um, I actually was on, um, Sandra was the first uh, show, the first radio show I ever did. She was so sweet. Oh, you did? And, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and she invited me, and I got to talk to her. Um, this was, oh, gosh, quite a while back now. It was the very first radio show I ever did. I was so nervous. <laughs> I was terribly nervous. Really? And I listened oh, to it Oh, you should have heard me my just... first show. I didn't know what to say. I'm like, what am yeah. I doing here? <laughs> I was just a nervous wreck. But she was me so too. sweet I, to I me. Came I with no co-host, and then some lady came on and started reading me and broke the ice. That was great. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah. I'm like, what the hell? Yeah, you know, what, what's going on here? <laughs> but it was I'm interesting sorry. because I could, I could so relate to Sandra because she, she is, a, she was a skeptic, and I think that I felt that way too. You know, just mm-hmm. having been, you know, having degrees and such. I, you're, you're taught to think critically. You're, you're, you know, you're taught the scientific method, and if it can't be measured, yep. then it's not real. Exactly, exactly. 
Well, like they said, all energy, energy doesn't die. Energy doesn't die. Yeah, and so, you know, know, I think it was... It was great that I got to talk to Sandra, you know, just out of the gun. She was the first interview I ever did because well, that's she helped great. Me you know, it's, I, I had no yeah. idea you were on her show, so you know, you've had the experience yeah. with Sandra, and so did I. And I, she could relate to me, I could relate to her, and I'm like, I had that same thing, these panic attacks, and I'm like, Ma, I don't want to die, and then I go into a panic attack, and my mother goes, you know, get away, you crazy little kid, you know, but that's the way my mother was, you know, she didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't know how to deal with it. But it's funny because even though I had, you know, religion and whatever, but I was a kid and not really understanding what it was all about. And I was pretty much a happy-go-lucky kid. I, you know, I loved life, you know. But yet I was so afraid of, like, I'm loving life so much, I don't want to go anywhere else. You know what I mean? But as I got older, people said to me, well, like I said before, how do you do it? I found peace. And my gift and my children's death have taught me peace because of the signs they send me. They showed me that it's real. There's what my mother used to say to me: "You weren't afraid, you know. She'd come out. She was kind of harsh at times. She goes, you weren't afraid to be born, so why are you afraid to die?'" I'm like, "Huh? That made no sense to me as a kid, you know." But it's true. Um, I had just put something on my site about a week ago. Uh, it, it was a great piece, piece of work, and and it talked about the baby in the mother's womb, and to, whether like it was talking to a twin and saying something like. Well, it's dark in here. Um, you know, basically, I'm afraid to come out. You think there's life out? You think anybody's going to love me out there? You think it's kind of like what we would say, like when we're going to be born. It's kind of like the reverse thing when you're going to die. It's like we all question, you know. So that's where I think my mother's saying what she said to me: "You weren't afraid to be born. Why be afraid to die?" You know, mm-hmm. if that mm-hmm. makes any sense to you. It does, and I'm not, I think I look at death very differently. It's just the next phase of life. That's the way I see it. And, um, But, yep, you know, yep. I, I think that I was not, I certainly, I, I was raised religiously, and then, I, and then I got an education, and it was like, you know, mm-hmm. they teach in, in college, if you can't see it, if it can't be measured, it's not real. And, um, but it wasn't until I received after-death visitations from my daughter, right after the one-year anniversary of her death, mm-hmm. that changed my mind. It changed my mind, and nothing, nothing, well, no I, 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 could change could my mind change now no. about the fact that well, I believe that's what I wanted that there to, is I want to discuss else. that with you. One quick question mm-hmm. before we go into that, and I want to, and to let everybody know, we have 23 minutes left. If you're on the phones now, remain on the phones because we can go over the the two hours if we, we, we happen to do this, okay? Because I really want um, uh, Nina to get you know her story out. Um, but what I was going to say to you, you talk about you know uh, when you're you're in school and college, and if if you don't see it, I mean we don't see atoms, we don't see, and and Sandra talked about this too. We don't see atoms, we don't see um, ra- the radio waves. Like like a lot of communication comes through the radio and the TV and things like that. I'm not saying like talking to you or anything, but my TV will sh- I've videotaped it, but shutting on and off. My washer on my son's birthday going on and off for no reason, you know. And I'm okay. Let me call cable. Let me call the Maytag repairman. And after it, it all got better. It all stopped. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't, none of it was broken, okay? So I always, even though I have this gift, I always try to, um, not saying I'm a skeptic, I always try to see what the logical human reason for it's happening, you know? But we don't see, um, if you really think about it, and I'm going to get really deep here, we, we're sitting here watching TV. We don't see the waves coming to the TV, do we? We hear about it. We don't actually see it. Right? Or you listen to the radio station. We don't see the music coming to the radio. And that's kind of the way I relate to 
people, you know, our loved ones in heaven, we can't maybe see them, but they can manipulate these things because we are energy, like the radio waves and like the TV, the stuff going to the TV. And I, I'm not going to get all technical because I'm not a TV repairman, you know. Um, I'm still the broken. Well, let me just say what do you call? I'm still the form of the broken toilet. Yeah, so go ahead. Go ahead. I, I, <laughs> I think that this I is very convincing. I get too analytical at times. You're probably analyzing me, but just go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're awesome. Thank well, you. Thank I just you. want to say, you know, the the argument you're you're putting out here right now is very convincing because it is scientific. You know, Einstein's mm-hmm. theory, and again, without getting into physics, Einstein's theory of relativity says this: E equals M C squared. We've all heard that, right? That right. whole formula. Right. E equals M C squared. What is that? Let's just take a look at that for just a second. Okay. E is energy or unstructured energy. Okay, so all those molecules mm-hmm. whizzing around that we can't see, that's unstructured energy. Right. E equals MC squared. MC squared is un or excuse me, structured mass. Okay, so right. what his theory of relativity said is that unstructured energy equals structured mass. So he won the Nobel Peace Prize because he could prove through mathematically that every solid Everything that is matter is actually right. unstructured energy on a microscopic mm-hmm. level. Right. And so the theory of saying if you can't see it, if you can't measure it, that it's not real doesn't hold water anymore. And especially not since the you know, the, the discoveries that quantum physics has made. In terms of mm-hmm. in quantum physics, this you know, we could talk about that all night. I don't want to open that can of worms, but basically quantum That's physics okay. is, is quantum mechanics is a science that says um, our thoughts create things. Right. I mean, you you want to look into a deep subject, look into quantum or kind of like the law of attraction they talk about, like in the book The Secret or what have exactly. you. Exactly. The law of exactly. attraction. Without you, whatever you put out in the universe, you get back. And I'm going to tell you something. My friend did that to me before I moved into this place of where I am now. She said to me one day, and it was after my sister died in 2006, four years after my daughter, and I was really bummed because my sister was like my second mother, and held me together. And I'm like, this is when I started writing the book. And my friend is a Feldenkrais therapist. Uh, if you understand that, the awareness for movement. It's not chiropractic, but it's a it's a method, okay? And it really works. So anyhow, um, she, and she's very spiritual. And she said to me, Peg, she was talking about the law of attraction. And she goes, write down the piece of paper, what you want, you know, three things that you want. And I wrote it. I said, okay, let me humor her. And she goes, and throw it in the drawer. Well, you know, within months, all three things happened. I moved. Mm-hmm. I got the place I wanted. Uh, I got the guy I wanted, <laughs> and something else. I won't go into it. Three things that I put on a paper, by putting it out there, I got what I wanted. And I, I was just, and I'm like, oh, my God. And I called her up. I said, do you believe this? All within you know, a few months, and all within two weeks, the three things that I wanted the most of the time, I got. So I truly believe that. I, I, tr- I don't know how why it works. That I can't answer you, but it works. It works. Right. Well, quantum yep. mechanics, it just says that thoughts become things. And this is a, a relatively mm-hmm. new science, but I, I, if I had right. another lifetime to do it, I probably would go study quantum physics. It's just fascinating um, to, to begin to understand that that which we think actually becomes solid, it becomes matter. So at any rate, I just, at this point now, understanding a little tiny bit about um, how uh, everything that's solid, everything that is matter is actually inner, it's just energy on a microscopic level. Um, it's not that far of a stretch then to imagine that part of me could be energy. It just makes sense right. to me. So at this right. point, I like to say, if I can't see it, I maybe I can't prove that it isn't real. So right. again, I'm just I'm very I'm I'm, I'm a very much open-minded skeptic these days. 
Right, right, right. Well, like I said, that's the way it was explained to me about the you know the TV and the radio. And like I said, I'm not all into electronics and whatever, but it made sense to me, you know. It just made sense to me, and that's kind of what I tell people. It's like, well, you don't always see it. I mean, and, and you know, I, I kind of joke, too, being that I am intuitive and I've worked with other mediums. And as far as uh, people ask me, well, where is heaven? What, what is it like? And I'm like, it's here. I'm like, what do you mean, sir? I said, it's dimension out of here. It's you open one door and you walk through it. It's not – I joke on the show. I had this vision as a kid as a bunch of little cupids floating on state puff clouds and playing harps. And I'm thinking – I don't want to go there. That's going to be boring, you know, type of thing. Uh, real cute, funny story here. My dad, you know, worked for the Episcopal Church, and at the end, he started having the Jehovah Witnesses on Wednesdays over. He started going to another church another day, and it's like he was covering every, well, you know, bases before he passed. And we, we sat, and I talk about this in my book. He goes, he says to me one day very seriously, he goes, what do you think? Because we used to call him Shaggy Juice. He, he was a workaholic, okay? He had to keep working. And he says to me, what do you think it's going to be like? I'm going to be bored. I've got to work. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. He was 82 years old with uh, COPD from asbestos and what have you. And he's, like, worried about what he's going to do when he gets there. And I'm like, you're going to do the same thing you do here without the body. I don't know how it, we work over there, but we're we're the same, like the Alpha and the Omega. There's no beginning. There's no end, you know. I told him, like, your body is like uh, the butterfly, the the caterpillar. And when you shed your caterpillar, you turn into the soul. The soul is the butterfly. And But with all the things that you liked here on Earth, all the beauty without any of the pain. And he had this peace come over his face all of a sudden, you know. And then we went on to another subject. You know, here's this man who grew up and, you know, worked at the church 50 years and, and, and um, now looking into other religions because he wanted to make sure he had all the, everything covered. And then he just asked me a simple question. I don't even know why it came out of my mouth that way, you know. But it was something so simple, but that's what I felt, that we are the same there. Like my kids, when they come through, they come through with their personalities that they had here. They come through, you know, my son loved, loved to torment me. He loved the joke. He was a jokester. They're going to come through. You don't lose your personalities when you go there. God, if, God, if we're made in God's image, I tell people, he's got a personality too. You know, it's not everything's about damnation or whatever. You know, it's like, well, this is it, you know. Um, we inherit his personality. We inherit his, his – you don't think he jokes. You don't think he's happy. I mean, come on, you know. You know, we're not going to be floating on clouds, and we're not going to be floating in the sky. And, um, yeah, we're energy, and I don't know how it totally works, but I don't believe that. I truly – not from what? what I've seen in the signs I've gotten. Yeah, I believe with you. I think uh, the soul doesn't die. I just think the body is a transporter. And yeah. there's something inside that's the real person. And right. I believe that there are probably other worlds. And, and when you progress enough, you go higher and you just keep going and going until you perfect yourself. And you keep yes. coming back yep. until you're perfect. You know, I don't mm -hmm, think we die. Mm -hmm. I think the physical body is just this vessel that we temporarily occupy for the purpose of working out the lessons that we were presented with on this yep. in, on the earth. And it's kind of like totally when you rent agree. a car for a trip, you know. When you mm -hmm. finish the trip, you return the car, and when it's time to take another trip, you rent another car. <laughs> exactly. And, of course, you know, there's, there's sadness cool. at somebody's I like death that. because you're not physically here uh, yep. for them to touch anymore. But it, But it's kind of like... You know, that book I was talking to you about by Dr. Romer, you know, one of mm -hmm. the people she interviewed in it said, think about it like this with your loved ones. If if mm -hmm. you live on the East Coast and call an aunt that lives 
in California on the phone. They're not physically right. touching her either. But mm-hmm. and so when somebody dies, they're just also like this long distance phone call away. Right, exactly. And, and that's what I believe well, I'm gonna, about. I'm going to tell you something. Uh, and some of my uh, the chat room's been going nuts here tonight. And I just want to tell my people, I'm sorry I can't get back to all of you because I'm trying to run the board and the phones and what have you. And it's a lot of work, more than you know, do a radio show. But a lot of people are commenting about that. It's like, um, uh, uh, I'm trying to, I lost my train here. Hold on a second. I just want to see some of the questions here. Um, about you know the, renting the, the vehicle and 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 how we can um you you like you said we can't touch one another but I have had physical touch I have felt my loved ones okay I have felt touch on the shoulder I we may not um I don't know how to explain it I don't know how they can do this without the physical body how they whether they work up enough energy to do this or whatever. I have felt uh, more than some people feel the cold breeze or whatever. I have felt physical touch on the shoulder, on my hair, you know. I woke up um, a couple months ago. I woke up, and my, my son, when he was little, he used to like to twirl my hair, sit next to me at night watching Wheel of Fortune. He used to always twirl my hair. He tried. To, he used to like putting my hair up and, and making me look like a sumo wrestler. He was hysterical, okay? So... I had now I get free readings, you know, because I don't read myself, so I have friends that read me or whatever. If I'm going, through, I'm like, okay, give me a reading, you know, because it works that way. And I've had a friend telling me and knew nothing about this with my son, and I was waking up all of a sudden with my hair in knots, and I'm like, what's wrong with my hair? <laughs> she, and I didn't ask her this. She says to me, your son is telling me he's there when you're sleeping at night by your side and he's twirling your hair. I said, what? This is when my hair was going in knots in the morning. How can that be possible, is what I ask. How can that be possible? I have felt touch on my shoulder. I have felt the touch on, on, on my head. I have felt the physical touch at times, not like I said, just a cool breeze. But I'm not making up these knots in my hair. There was no reason to have these, I mean, where I couldn't even comb my brush through it. And I'm like, what is wrong? what's going on with my hair all of a sudden? And then I get this reading, and this woman's telling me this, and I'm not even asking her. So, how do you? How would you explain that? How can that happen? I don't know do if think? I can that explain kind of it. That kind of your theory down. <laughs> well, yeah, go ahead. Th- these are paranormal experiences that certainly have been mm-hmm. reported and, and have happened to, as we said, 50 million people in right. the United States. Twenty percent of our population feels that wow, they've experienced yeah, yeah. A, a real um, ex- encounter with a loved one from yeah. the other side. Sometimes they do report physical sensations like you're reporting. Now, how I would Mm -hmm. explain that that happens from one dimension to another, I probably would have to be um, in school a whole lot longer than I've been in school to understand the physics of all of this. I I don't think that even quantum physics understands it all. Well, that's what I'm saying. You know, I can understand the energy thing with the TVs because I'll tell you, I did one show one night, and it was around, again, my son's birthday. I, my washer, this was during his birthday week, right? My washer kept going on and off. I go over, turn it off. I go back to my sink to do something. My washer come on, and I'm thinking, okay, maybe the control board, blah, blah, blah. Well, that night, I was ready to do a show. The washer kept doing it. I was going to call the repair guy to check it out, right? I, I... I, I turned it off like three times, and I come back on. I'm like, okay, there's something going on here. I, I Like I said, I always look for the logical, okay? But I go to the room I do the show in. I end the show. My fax machine comes on by itself. I'm like, that never happened before. 
I go back out to my kitchen after the washer and the fat. This is all in one night. Uh, it was our first cold snap we had here in New York. I had, I'm a plant person. I have the green thumb. There's one plant that I wanted to save. I knew the rest would die. I went out on my deck, and I got my palm tree, which I brought into the house. As I bring the palm tree in, my TV on the, in the kitchen goes on that's on my washer. So in one night, within two hours, I had fax machine, washer, and TV all go on in one night. I've had videotapes on my daughter between my daughter's birthday and mine, which were six days apart in September, the TV going on and off all week. I've had this before. I had cable here. Nothing wrong with your TV. Nothing wrong with that. I've tried to disprove things. I've had phone calls. I've had um, a few more losses this year. Three friends, actually, one in July, um, two in December, and then my nephew in September. Prior to my friend's loss, the day he died, I didn't know he had passed in July, my home phone rang, calling itself. And I'm like, okay, what the hell's going on here? That's not supposed to happen. Nobody's there. I called cable company. They said, we have no record of it. I said, my phone just called itself. I had taken a picture of it with my cell phone. It says my name and my number and the time. We don't know. I don't know what to tell you. 11.30 at night, I get a call from my friend who was getting married uh, in the week, and this guy was supposed to be the best man telling me he had passed away. Okay. My nephew passes in September. Same thing. My home phone calls itself. I do the same thing. Take a picture of it. I said, I'm not even going to deal with the cable company, which is where my phone service is through. Took a picture of it. Okay. And uh, didn't know my nephew passed. When I got the call, it was around the time he had passed. Didn't know it. All right. Wow. It's happened. So you three were talking about that. serendipity. You know, you. I think you mentioned you. You do some talking on serendipity, and you know. Um, well, synchro- synchronicities. Yeah, yeah. Synchronicity, right? And uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, synchronicity. Yeah. yeah. And, you know yeah. the the definition of synchronicity, according to Dr. Carl Jung, who was a psychiatrist who who was the first one mm-hmm. to coin that term, he called it meaningful coincidences. Which I call I them God incidences. I call them God incidences. There's no coincidence. Oh, I like they're that God too. incidents. They're they're God's little jokes with us. Okay, it's like you think you're so tough. <laughs> Let me show you what I can do. You know, look what I can do. It's Stuart from um, Mad Mad TV. Look what I can do. And I'm even though I do this, and I know heaven's real, and I get all these messages, I'm still human. You don't think some of this stuff freaks me out? <laughs> it does. It does. I'm, I'm not gonna lie to you. It does freaks me out. I'm I'm still human, you know. I still have feelings like everybody else, you know. I, it just it is what it is, you know. Um, listen, we're down to seven minutes. You want to hang on longer a little bit after the two hours because we have a couple people. We have people on the line, but we have a couple people that want to ask some questions, and I want you to you know talk you know a little more about your work and um, and what people should do if they are you know suicidal. Being that you are a psychologist, do what what advice would you give them if they they're that depressed? What would be the best advice you could give them? Let's start with that, okay? Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd love to um, answer some questions tonight. Um, okay. Uh, I think that um, a lot of people who are depressed, um, uh, well, first off, <laughs> almost a quarter of our population in America is has some sort of mental health issue, mental illness, so whether that mm-hmm. be depression or anxiety or some other, some other condition. Yep. So I think that we all need to become more sensitive to one another about that. Um, you know, mm-hmm. that's more than one out of four people you're going to meet. 26% of the U.S. has been already diagnosed with a mental health condition. So, right. you know, that's a large percentage of our population. And I think a good percentage of those people have depression. And, and those and of those mm-hmm. people, um, they're going to be dealing with suicidal thoughts. 
from time to time. Right. And that's just part mm-hmm. of what happens with depression when it when it goes wrong. Right. So I think that we need to be become um, uh, sensitive to the fact that so many of us are dealing with this. And I think mm-hmm. the best thing we could do for one another in terms of lifting the stigma and getting rid of the taboo of talking about all this is to simply begin to talk about our own experiences with each other. Just begin to open yep. up and be real yep. and just say, yep. you know, I actually have depression. And don't be I afraid to reach out for help. I mean, I know we can yeah. – I've been. I've had clinical depression a few times, and um, I had severe after my third child postpartum depression. It was horrible. It was awful. And uh, it was scary. But, you know, you've got to realize, too, that depression is, is it's not just psychological. There's physiological aspects to it. For instance, you know, you know, you being a psychologist, the dopamine levels, the serotonin levels, the chemical imbalance. You know, people have to realize there's a medical thing for it. And you know, I'm a, I've never done medication for when I've gotten it. Thank goodness, I'm just I'm into natural stuff. But I I'm, I don't put medication down because I know it's necessary. I've seen it in my own family necessary. Okay, my father even was so bad with depression when he was 80 years old because my mom was dying and he was sick and he had to have shock treatment. I'm not gonna lie. My, they tried every, uh, they tried every, 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 um, what do you call it, uh, medication there was for him. Nothing helped him. And you know what he said to me after the second treatment? And they think it's a snake pits type thing. It's not, okay? He says, I wish I had known about this 50 years ago. I've never felt so good in all my life. His depression was totally mm. gone. So he got to live oh. out the last two years of his life without depression. So I'm oh, an advocate of these things. It's yeah, so there are things out there, and it's not like, you know, cliche or, or, or like uh, taboo or whatever you you want to think that there are treatments out there. And, and even if you feel like you've hit rock bottom, there's a suicide hotline number. I post it on my site all the time. Please call somebody. There's somebody there that can help. Please don't don't give yeah. up. Don't give up. Yeah. Don't give up. I think, I mean, you know... What you're, what you're saying is really good. I think early intervention is one thing that we've mm. got to kind of take a look at. In other words, if you know of a friend or family member who's struggling, don't um, belittle their symptoms. Don't don't uh, minimize no. their symptoms. Um, early yep. intervention has been shown to be the number one um, reliever of suicide. So the earlier you can get somebody to talk to a counselor or to go to their family doctor for some an assessment and perhaps some medication if they're pretty depressed, early intervention mm-hmm. can can save lives. The other thing is just edu- educating ourselves. I mean there's uh, you know there's a mass of more more information on on the the warning signs and symptoms of depression than than you can imagine on the internet. So just educate yourself if if you have mm-hmm. a family member or friend that's dealing with this. And then just talking about our own experiences with one another is going to turn the tide, I think here. Um so Oh that yeah, that's why I'm very open about what I go issues. through. Yeah, yeah, don't exactly. I just want to tell people too, if you are going through grief, it's normal to talk. You're you're gonna have people out there that that they're gonna walk away from you. I've had family walk away from me, I've had friends walk away, long term friends too. There's always someone out there like you. There there are many um parent groups I found on Facebook that I help other people, that we help each other, they've helped me. Um, reach out to them. When others on your regular page don't understand, and they're going to be like anything else in life. You're going to get bashed by people, and people have their own issues with it. You know, some people are even jealous that we can survive after the worst of the worst. Okay, why I don't know. That's their own mental illness. That's their problem. 
just remember that nobody's perfect. People have their own issues, why they put us down, because they're, they're dealing with their own demons, okay? Reach out to the, grief, the other grieving groups, grieving whether it be a child or a, a spouse or a sibling or whomever. There are many groups, thank God, on Facebook. Facebook can save lives, too. If you feel so depressed that nothing's helping, there's a, a, a 1-800 number. I'll, I'll put it on my regular site again tonight. I'm at Peggy S. Emanisi. You can, um, I have many pages, but my main page, friend me, tell me you met me through the show. I will give you the number, or you can, you can call or Google it, uh, Suicide Hotline. Call them. Talk to somebody. If you need to be hospitalized to get you straightened out, just do it. You know what? what what's the old saying? Another cliche of suicide, you know, is what? Um, and what's the, what is the saying? Where um, permanent solution to a temporary problem, right? Is, you've heard that yeah. before. Yep. So just remember, there's 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 hope. When there's life, there's hope. You know, and I just want to stress that we have one minute left to the show. If you're on the lines, you'll be able to still hear us and talk to us. If you're listening on Facebook or Google or Internet, um, you can hear the – okay, we're down to 90 seconds. You're gonna, you can hear the show on the archives later on. All my shows are archived, and I want to thank you for tuning in. But we're going to continue. We're down to like a minute. Uh, again, tell them the name of your book for the listeners that won't be hearing us. Oh, sure. March okay, 1st. Um- Sure. So that's going to be March 1st, and you can find it at the book's website, which is www.oncethestormisover.com. Okay. And if you Google her name, say your name, let them know your name so they can Google your name and find your other books, too. Uh Uh-huh. It's Nina Bingham, and you'll find my books on Amazon. Okay, okay. Well, I want to thank you, and of course, we're going to continue to talk a few minutes um, so we can take some um, questions. Uh, I've had people on since the beginning of the show. So how about if we take a question, okay? Would you mind? great. Thank you. Okay, hold on, Nina. Hold on. Okay, hold on. Okay, hello, listener. Um, It's area code 402. What is your first name and where are you from, please? Hi, my first name is Ku'uleilani, and I'm um, I'm from Hawaii, but I live in Omaha. And my question was, um, do you, what do you guys see for me in the love area? Hon, our show is about, uh, I just want to stress this, our show is about signs our loved ones send us. So it's more of a grieving show to, like, bring your, I'm sorry, to bring your, your lost loved ones through. Okay, not about jobs or love life. I mean, I can oh, do yeah, that too, well, but we yeah, try no, to. That's totally cool. That's yeah. totay fine. Okay. Definitely. Okay. Not not putting down what you want, but I, you know, we we try to appeal to people no, going through grief for love. healing through I, grief. I, don't mind. I have a lot of loved ones on the. Do other you have part. someone? Actually, the show tonight was more to ask questions on suicide. Like normally, I do readings on the show, but we're we've been talking. Did you ever lose anyone to suicide, or ever ever you felt depressed enough yourself that you? thought about it or did you want to contribute to the show that way um i have had some friends that um have had some issues with that and um i definitely know that sometimes when people are feeling so much pain on the inside that that's the only way they can release it and and it's just really sad i mean yeah, and this is true. I, well, but th- that's what we're trying to promote tonight, that there is help out there for everyone. You know, I, I know when we feel, and I'm, I'm going to, actually, I'm going to let Nina speak on that. Nina's a psychologist. She also lost a daughter to um, to suicide. Nina, you want to you talk on the subject to her? Hi, Ulani. Is that your name? Ku'ulani. Cool. Oh, that's so pretty. That's a pretty name that Thank is. Thank you. Well, yeah, and you sound like you're a little younger. Um, um, so do you feel, you know, I actually have a question for you. Is 
you know, you sound like a younger adult. Um, do you have friends that, like, have depression? And if they have depression, are they talking about it with each no, other? No, I have, I have a, um, a, a father of my younger two kids. He always um, threatened suicide. But he has a lot of issues. And, like, part of me thinks that he would do it, you know, um, as far as um, <clears throat> that, how it affects my life directly is that I feel that there is a, a lot of negative energy around him, like a dark cloud and things happen. He's hurting a lot inside and nobody can fix that pain but him, but yet he still is believing it's external forces when it's really resonating from within and he has to acknowledge that in order to heal from it. And I can't really... Um, well, well can I just say something? Getting... And I'm going to need the expert on this. That's one of the things I, I think I should have said on the show earlier, and they can go back to the archives. Um, a lot of people used to say, "Well, if they're threatening it, they're just you know they're just looking for attention." Take every threat. No, they threat. really will do it. They, yeah, they really anybody will. that threatens to do it, they really will do it. Okay, so don't take that at, at, at um, like a grain of but salt. But a lot of people use it as a form of manipulation too, especially yeah. But you know what? We can't take that chance, can we? We can't take that chance. If what would your what would your being that okay? Now that we're touching on the subject here, Nina. What would your advice to her be to get him to do a crisis intervention if he threatens it again, or what? Well, I think that um, she mentioned something that's important to understand. There's a difference between what, what I call situational or circumstantial depression. So depression right. that's, um, you know, happens because of the environment. That's going to go away when you make those changes. So sometimes, like, for example, if you were to move to a new city and you were having to start over, you're having to get a new job, you don't have any friends, things um, – Situations like this can cause depression, okay? But that kind of situational or circumstantial depression eventually lifts. It goes away. Um, where mm-hmm. you have to be concerned is when it's not going away. So, in other words, your friend might be telling you, well, it's circumstantial, it's my environment, you know, blaming it on the environment. But if your friend or your friend or your, your – I wasn't sure if it was your friend or, or family member there, but or it's just not in your life. I have died from suicide. And I, I, see, I, have I, an, I have an ex that threatens suicide because – and wants to be together, but I really feel like part of him really will do it because he's not mentally well because he doesn't yeah. realize that it's internal and there's some changes that need to be done and they're not being met. And one of it is the way you're thinking. You know, like yeah. if you're, 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 you can make your thoughts flow like water, like just change the channel. He can't change yeah. the channel. He gets obsessed mm-hmm. and depressed. And it's, mm-hmm. Well, that sounds like a clinical depression, family, thing, right? And it runs in the family. It's a DNA thing, too. And, you know, it's like, so the catalyst of all this was, do I stay or do I go? I mean, do I be responsible for somebody else's actions? Do I want to live with that guilt or do I want to try to make it work even though it's not something that doesn't resonate with my higher being or my higher self because it's not a... Yeah. It's not My as, personal um, thing, if, if you don't want to be one, is one thing. Perpetuate. But to, to do the intervention, what what do you feel about that? Would you feel about an intervention yeah, I, if he's threatening? I, I, I love this. I love this situation that you're talking about here because you said that, you know, it, it, it seems like he's saying it's the environment, but at the same time what you're seeing is that the, the depression's not going away. It may be internal. It may be a chemical imbalance. It may be neurological. So something may be wrong with his brain, and it may be genetic. Mm-hmm. So if it doesn't go away, that's a warning sign. Like if this person continues 
to, to feel down and blue and it just doesn't go away, it's not circumstantial, then you can be pretty certain that the person may have a chemical imbalance. And here's what I want to say to you, is that whether you stay or whether you go, that that person, if it's, if it's chemical, if it's neurological, they're going to continue to have depression. Oh, I know mm-hmm. that. I, 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 I agree. I agree. Yeah. And but if so, he's so threats, really the solution I think it's time to Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, the solution is not you staying so that they don't commit suicide. The solution is getting them intervention. Yeah, but that's the hard part. That's not something that's really easy with when you're talking about a grown adult. You know? Yes, yes. he's older than I am. And and unless somebody wants to take that initiative to recognize mm-hmm. that that is a problem, and because he's in the the whole thing where it's a blame thing, like you know, all you have to do is this, and then I won't feel this way, and and blah 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 blah. But I I told him like, if it's not this, like in every situation when we were together, it was something else. But you have the same emotion, and something is like a dark cloud that you carry around because you won't release it. You won't let the sun come well, in. I think some like people the, don't realize that it is clinical, that it is a chemical <clears throat> imbalance. You know what I'm and saying? Then they get it's lingering. when you're trying to explain that to them because they're not well. You, you well, know? that's when that's when you that's when you call in the big guns, as I say. Okay, that's yeah. when a crisis pray? intervention, you call them in, you, you just call a number and say, look, he's been threatened, this has been going on for such such a time, you take it seriously because it may, he may be just calling your bluff, but he may not, we don't want to take that chance. So when you call a crisis intervention team in, they will evaluate, they will put him under, uh, what is it still, Nina, 72 hours surveillance? You know, they'll, they'll take him in, right? What is and, crisis and, and, intervention? What is it? That's when, there's a number you call, Nina, you explain that to her. Yeah. Well, I think I like what you're saying a lot, Peggy, and I think it is important to take this seriously. Um, I think it's important that you just do your best to get him a suicide crisis line number. You can find him online. You know, basically, you know, if you're feeling, if the thoughts are coming to you about suicide, that's the point. If you don't want to reach out to me, that you call this crisis line. Also suggest that he be evaluated by either a doctor or a counselor. Um, I would, though, take this very seriously. Um, However, is it your responsibility to stay or go? That's really not the question. The question is, how how can I get this person evaluated either by a doctor or counselor? But, yes, I would take this very seriously. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I would, um, I will, um, are you on Facebook, hon? Yes. You are, okay. My name is Peggy, P-E-G-G-Y. S for like, well, it's not Shirley, uh, I-M-M-A-N-E-S-I. If you want to uh, friend me, even if it's just temporarily, I will get you the numbers you need to call. Uh, or you can Google them and, it, you know, just type in um, suicide intervention line. And you can call them yourself, tell them what you're going through, and they will come out with him. Now, he doesn't even have to know about it, if you know, and send them to where he is, and they will evaluate him. This takes the responsibility off of you staying with him. Uh, not you don't have to make promises to him, but if he's really clinically depressed, there is help for him. And the main thing now is not staying in the relationship, but is to get him the help he needs. And you're doing your part that way, you know. Right. So what she's talking yeah. about are what called what are called mobile crisis teams. And many cities, bigger cities, have these mobile crisis teams. I know Portland, Oregon, here in the Northwest where I live, have them. Um, not all cities have them, but the larger cities do. So it's worth checking into. But I do want to acknowledge one thing that you said, and that is 
I think, Peggy, you said it earlier, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And so all exactly. you can do is I want to acknowledge that you could just do the very best you could do to get him um, the, the crisis line numbers and suggest he be evaluated by either a doctor or counselor. And then, you know, you, you just do the best you can do. But sometimes you're right. You can't, you can't make them drink. Yep. Yeah, but right. see, this way, if if you do the the intervention, it takes it out of your hand. It takes takes it off your plate. Where, because I mean, you shouldn't be forced to stay with somebody to keep them going, because uh, it's not fair to you. But on well, the other I hand, mean, if I they're left, clinically I depressed, I, I mean, I left. I left him a while ago, but like I right. continue to try to be a friend because he feels that I'm the only person in this world that he's made it that way. Like that's not the mm-hmm. case at all. Like. I mean, and he has, like, and he's really successful at what he does when he gets his head right, but his, his like, his imbalance keeps him from where he needs to be. And I don't really know how to explain that to somebody with that kind of situation that's not realizing where it resonates without having, like, an argument. And it's, like, a two-year, like, explanation, and it's, like, always, like, a runaround, and it's, like, He'll get, like, you know, like that movie, Fatal Attraction, where the lady's calling over and over again, and you're just sitting there like, oh, like there's something not right. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel at times, and I deal with it because, like, I know that there's a good person inside. I know that there's a lot of, like, a lot of beauty there, but it just, it there's something, I don't know, there's something when somebody has something wrong with them mentally that makes them have these feelings. You can sense it, but you can't really um, cure it. It has to be cured on its own. Do you understand what I mean? The healing has yeah, to but see, that's 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 when you call. Like I said, you call the bigwigs in that that that, that can deal with this, that are trained in the field to do the, that evaluation because you're not capable. Uh, you cannot maybe on a personal level to a point, but sometimes I mean, let's say you have children, okay, and they get pneumonia. You can sit there and hold them and give them Tylenol and whatever, uh, but you're not going to know culture them. You don't have the, the equipment to culture them and you, you figure out the right antibiotic to get rid of the pneumonia. It works kind of a, like the same way with uh, clinical depression. They have to be evaluated, you know, blood levels and whatever, and maybe get an MRI to rule out other things. It could be a tumor. It could be, it could be many things causing this. And I'm talking from my nursing background, okay? Um, he needs an evaluation. And they once you do an intervention, if they believe that he is at risk, he doesn't have to know about it. You just call him. They go to his home. They talk to him. Uh, the majority of times, if they see something wrong, they take them in, and it's mandated, I know here in New York, for 72 hours of observation, which includes tests and what have you. And then it then then it kind of takes that ball out of your lap and brings it to where it should go. You know what I'm saying? Pass it on to the professionals with it. Okay? And this way, you don't have to deal with it um, from that aspect um, because he may just need a medication, you know, some Prozac or or he may be bipolar, lithium or whatever it takes, you know, whatever they feel that he may need to straighten out the uh, the levels in the brain. Okay? Does that did that help yeah. at all? Or? Okay, and like I said, if you want to friend me or you can Google that number, uh, you know, uh, crisis intervention team. That's crisis information. I didn't even know that there were crisis teams out there, so thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just Google Like I said, you have a computer, Google it. Google it, or you can go to my page, and I'm going to post it tonight, the number, okay? Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you. Okay, God bless, honey. I hope we helped you. Okay, night. You there? I'm here. I'm Hi, glad Nina? you called. 
Okay. Yeah, I'm glad yeah, she I'm is here, too, because I'm glad she called. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm su- I'm so surprised that you know in this day and age people don't realize that there is this help out there. I numerous times I do post that to my page. You know, um, you know, she said she's in Hawaii. She was in Hawaii, but now she's in you know in well still part of the United States. But it's you know that number the 800 as you know is uh, you know all over the United States. So. Um, right. You know, it's the main number for them. So hopefully, um, you know, we save somebody tonight, you know. There's a lot. And, There's um, a lot of help available. And I think people don't don't realize that. And all it takes is just a little bit of research, and you're going to find there's more help than you imagined available. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, as much as we talk, and you know what, um, I would love to have you back on periodically. Would you mind coming on to um, kind of be like our – I have like a minister that comes on and uh, who mm. – who, teaches from the Bible about, you know, my my type of gift and, and about the signs and about my intuitiveness and how it's a gift from God. Um, I'd like to have you on again, you know, um, periodically and, um, you know, talk about your books, of course, and yourself and your daughter, and and maybe to take more questions about, you know, where the help, where they can find help. Would you mind doing that? Thanks, Peggy. That would be an honor. I, I've had a blast with you tonight. It'd be great. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. That. I mean, I'm I'm like, I, you know what? I promise next time I bring duct tape, but I'll put it on periodically because I never <laughs> shut up sometimes. <laughs> well, I would be ripping I'm it like, off because I've enjoyed talking to you. Oh, thank you, honey. You know, I'm, like I said, I'm just real, you know? I'm just real, and I, I really do. My heart wants to help people, and, you know, I'm as real as real can be. And, and you know, we, we really never touched. I mean, I've talked about that I did lose someone to suicide, and I know 40-some uh, years later I'm still devastated by it, okay? It really, you know, I've had all these other losses, but that still was a big thing in my life. And it's um, and I'm glad to have had you on the show because I'm hoping that we've, we've, in your daughter's memory, saved other people. You know, I believe that each one of us have, you know, a purpose, even if we, you know, go through what we go through. Like I said, it's part of our plan to save others also, you know. And I think yeah. it's great. I, I loved having you here. But I did want to touch on one thing, and we really didn't talk about how did your daughter come to you? <laughs> we, we forgot to talk about that. How did she come to mm-hmm. you? It was after your one-year anniversary, and I think you talked about it in your oh, book. Yeah. You're going to talk about it in your book. Yeah, yeah. What happened? Yeah, Let's the talk book about that goes into London. it in detail. Yeah, but you know, since your show's purpose is to explore um, life after death, basically, um, after the one-year anniversary of her death, nothing happened, and I kind of was disappointed. I think I had hoped that something might happen, that there might be a sign, or because the first year after her death, it was like I didn't hear anything. It was just a complete disconnect, and mm-hmm. I just was so lonely for her. I was just so desperate to hear anything from her, and, right. you know, the first anniversary came and went, and I thought, well, gee, maybe I'm never going to hear from her, and I right. just kind of, you know, gotten to the place where I thought, well, maybe I'm going to have to get okay with that, and um, my sister had, the story is, my sister had made a memorial tree, and at my daughter's memorial, everybody wrote a card to my daughter, just saying their goodbyes, and uh, that tree sits in our living room, just always reminding me of Mariah. And mm-hmm. about three days after the first anniversary of her passing, I woke up at about 3 a.m. I don't know why I woke up. I heard a crash in the living room, and my heart started mm-hmm. beating, and the dog started barking because he'd been asleep next to me. And for some reason, That's when I you hide the explain. wine bottles. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Joking. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> You're great. 
but but for some reason I can't explain. There was this crash in the living room, and I for some reason I didn't get up and investigate. I just went right back to sleep, which is kind of weird for me. Uh-huh. Um, right. And but in the morning I remembered. I thought, well, you know, I wonder what fell over, what this big crash was, and I I went into the living room, and mm-hmm. my fiance at the time and I said, you know, I remember hearing a big crash last night, and you know, you were sound asleep, the dog was asleep, and her right. eyes got really big, and she said. Oh, she said, well, because when I got up this morning, Mariah's Memorial Tree had been knocked over. And you really? got to understand that this tree was like wedged between, it was kind of in a corner between a big piece of furniture and the corner. So there was like, I couldn't imagine how it could just fall over by itself. You know, I just, in the year right. that it had been there, it had never moved. So right. that was kind of weird, you know. And so we were wow. we were talking about that and we just kind of thought it was weird. We didn't think a whole lot about it. And then later that afternoon we were discussing it again because it was kind of just weird and as we were discussing it the tv just turned on like it just turned on mm-hmm. and oh, hello the controller the was, tv thing <laughs> yeah right. and, and the controller was just sitting there on the coffee table between us and the, the, the sound didn't go up just the picture came on which was very strange because this is a brand new tv and so mm-hmm. I'm thinking, why is the TV on but there's no sound? And then we were just looking at each other. And then I said, you know, and it kind of spooked me a little bit. And so I said, yep. you know, I think I'm just going to, like, I'm I'm going to go into the other room and chill out for a while. Hello. It was freaky. I still do that, Yeah, Nina. you know. <laughs> I still do that, believe uh, just, me, just my human side. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So I walked, you know, into my study, and I'm sitting there looking at my books, you know, and <clears> kind of right. a world that makes sense, you know, and – and all of a sudden, I hear the TV blaring in, in the living room. So I ran back into the living room, and she says, I didn't touch a thing. The TV just went all the way on. So I turned the TV down, and I thought, you know, I'm just going to go out for a walk. <laughs> so I took the dog. You're and right. I, it's going to follow you. <laughs> no, no, no. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I went for a little walk, and while I was walking, I just it occurred to me, I thought, maybe this is maybe this could be Mariah trying to make somehow contact with me. And so I just kind of prayed and I just or mm-hmm. said a prayer. or I just kind of said out loud, you know, okay, Mariah, yep. if, if this is you, if this is you trying to contact me, then I want you to mm-hmm. just make the TV turn off. Just turn the TV off. Right. And that way I'll know yep. that it's you. And so yep. I did a little spin around the parking lot with the dog, came back in, and I went into the living room, and she looks at me, and she says, the weirdest thing just happened. The TV just turned off all by itself. Amen, sister. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> did I, um, you know, it's funny. I uh, Did I, um, uh, um, did you join my page of my sign page? I think did I, I yeah, put you on, on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Yes. The what signs, it's a long name. I don't remember it half the time, but it, it gets the point across. Go to that page and see what I've got. I've got the video of the TV going on it. I was going on my daughter's birthday, September 1st, mine's the 7th. From her birthday to mine, it kept going on and off. I decided one day, okay, now I'm going to videotape. But I picked up my camera phone, okay, my my video, okay. Well, I must have meant, been meant to videotape it at that point because as it would go off and on, the commercial messages were incredible. It came on. I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm t- narrating it. I said, well, here we go. Here's my cable box. You see it's on. My TV's on. It went off. It's going to come back on. When it comes on, that commercial comes on, and the woman says, amazing, and the fireman goes, yeah. <sighs> and then it goes off again. Then there was a the commercial before that when it came on, and it said something, um, help the children. 
and something, something, something. It was meant to be videotaped at that point in time because that was their message to me. Okay, but go through that page. You can actually see the videos. Okay, I have video. I have audio. I have audio of um, when my nephew died. What happened? Uh, not what happened when he died, but what happened after. Okay, uh, I got a whole thing on it. I have pictures of my son showing up on two people's sites that I was drawn to that I don't normally go to. I swear to God, no Photoshop. People that didn't know me. My son's showing up his face in the pictures. One in a guy's door in Jersey. And I sent the guy. He goes, I don't know what this is about. My wife took a picture of me. This this kid's face shows up in my door. I don't believe in this stuff. And I never go to paranormal sites. I went to this. Something drew me there that day. And I'm like, that's my son's face. And he goes, get out of here. And I sent him a picture of my son. He goes, oh, my God. I never believed this before. This past wow. summer. I had another one show up. This little girl had cystic fibrosis from Ireland, mind you, who died this past summer. And I belong, excuse me, I'm also asthmatic. I uh, belong to um, a lot of the CF groups, okay? And I didn't know this girl. She's from Ireland. And she's sitting next to her bed. This is one of her hospitalizations. There's a boy laying in her bed. Total doppelganger to my son. To the point when I saw it, I almost had a heart attack. I post the picture. His friends get on, oh, isn't that nice? He fronted that little girl. I said, no, this little girl just died, and she's from Ireland. They almost passed out, his friends. They said, no. I mean, he was so idea. There was no reason for this kid to be laying in this little girl's bed. You have to see, and I, I said, and I put comparative pictures to my son. It's all on that site, and the video, and the TV going on, and all pictures of the phone, the phone calls that I got, and then I get calls the same day that someone had passed close to me. You can't oh, well. make this stuff up. So, I mean, yeah, and so believe yeah. Mariah did this. I know she did it to you. I mean, there's no, yeah. no, no bow to doubt it, as they say, you know, no doubt about yeah, it. Yeah, and there were, there were other unexplained um, contacts that happened. So over the next three days, it was pretty continuous. And, and I talk all about mm-hmm. that in the book. But I, but I think, you know, the, the oh, I can't wait to read it. Really I can't wait to read it. Oh, thank you. But I think the important thing, you know, here about that to say is that, mm-hmm. you know, research shows about 50 million people believe they've been the recipient of some kind of uh, after-death contact. And, you know, the loved one yep. is just simply trying to communicate that they want you to live free of guilt and they want you to be joyful again. And I think that's usually the message. And they the want you to know they're still around. Side. Yeah, and heaven is for real. You know, heaven is definitely for real. You know, they reach out and they want you to know they're around you, watching you, but they also want you to be happy and go on with your life and go bowling or do something. You know, don't just sit and veg. And a lot of, I find a lot of parents do that. They get stuck. And I said, you know what? I've got MS. I actually, a couple of years ago, even with my MS, went out, I mean, I couldn't walk afterwards for a long time. I went bowling when I said, no, I want to go bowling. I took my walker and I went and played miniature golf. You know, there's you. always something. And you know what? I can't walk, but I can I can still ride a bicycle. I can't wait for the spring and summer. I get on my bike because I live right on the Hudson River. I, we have our own beach here and everything. I love it. Mm. I get on my bike and I ride my bicycle. It's my legs. So there's always something to do, even with your limitations. So don't don't be you know yeah. don't quit. Just keep going. And I'm almost yeah. 62. Who the hell a fat 62 year old with MS riding a bike? That's a miracle, you know. I'm <laughs> overweight. I'm not gonna say fat. I am. I'm big. I'm big. But you know what? I don't care. I love me. You know, I love who I am, and I think that's the most important thing. We need yeah. to love who we are inside. You yeah. know, and I, you're I've doing what you can, you know, to keep, 
to keep yep. healthy and to keep active, and that's what's important. You know, before we go, I just want, I, I mm-hmm. just feel um, real strong uh, wanting to do this, is I just want to read a very moving poem by the author um, uh, who inspired the title of this book. Um, the okay. title of this book was taken from, from a poem. And okay. uh, the author's name, uh, to try to say it right, is Haruki Murakami is his name. And uh, he he's a tremendous author, but I hope it inspires the listeners like it's inspired me. Um, and okay. I think it just really encapsulates what we talked about tonight. And that is, um, and once the storm is over, you won't remember how you made it through or how you managed to survive. You won't even be sure whether the storm is really over. But one thing is certain. When you come out of the storm, you won't be the same person who walked in because that's what this storm is all about. Wow. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Well, I love po- and you've written poetry too. I can't wait to read yours. My actually my poetry book should be out in 2 days. Uh Great Venting Through Poetry. And uh you know, I, I think poetry is it's 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 music to the soul, you know? Mm-hmm. That it touches touches so many people and 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 um <clears throat> you know, you being in the in the medical field, you know that the um, I, I did something a long time ago, and I've I seen it kind of catch on that I had learned my own, I was here. I specialized in Alzheimer's dementia. Most of my patients had it, right? And my own mother got it, and here we again, here we go again. The 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 uh, the plumber with the broken toilet. You know how you felt what you do when you couldn't help your daughter. Here I specialize this, and my own mother got it, and I couldn't help her. And I tell people I watched my mother die twice, once from the mental, you know, part of it where she couldn't talk anymore or whatever, and then her physical death, you know. And um, it was frustrating, but I learned with her, we started to sing, and, and, you know, there's two parts of the brain, and the part where, like, a person that stutters can get up on stage and sing, you wouldn't even know they stutter, or somebody from England gets up and they sound American. You know, they're two separate mm-hmm. parts of the thinking brain and the react. What is? I forgot the name. The reactive and the the thinking or whatever. Well, I learned to communicate with my patients because of this by singing. They couldn't talk, but they could sing because it was a different part of the brain. You know, so and that touched me to where like where poetry touches people and music. It it it's just so um it's a way of communication. You know, and I yeah, think sometimes talking and counseling to people is great and which is it's needed. But I think sometimes with our poetry and our music, it touches the soul, the different part of the, you know, to, to, to bring, kind of, it's kind of like the holistic, the body, mind, and soul thing, you know? And I really think poetry and music does that from what I've seen what, with my Alzheimer's patients. So I just wanted to say that, you know, I it's think powerful. it's uh, the holistic powerful. approach. Yep. Yeah, but I'm telling you, Nina, I love this. I'm sorry I'm a yapper, but I am who I am. I can't, you know, my maiden was in, and I joke about it. I said they knew what they were naming me because <laughs> I am what I am. You know, well, I, I'm just me, free it's spirit. Really well, thank you, Nina, and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping we've helped people, and I really would like you on as an advisor, you know, maybe once every six weeks or two months or whatever you want to do, whatever you're free, and we'll back. talk about your books. Oh yeah, I mean I'd you have an open um, open forum here. You know, I, I've got I've got some bookings, you know, but I'll let you know some free dates and uh, and we'll talk more once the book gets out there and more about the books and and uh, and take more callers and talk with them and more about the signs and I have a um, I don't always choose to do a reading, but I got a little bit of a reading for you. 
<laughs> you ready for me? Wonderful. Okay. Uh, you were hoping for this, weren't you? <laughs> I, I wasn't going to hold my breath. Did you have a feeling? Breath, but I oh, was right, But you had a little bit of a feeling? Okay. I was just we, hoping. A hunch. A hunch, hunch. Okay. I am getting a message. Okay. Now tell me. Get a, You have a pencil and paper? I tell them, write it down I because do. sometimes it doesn't mean. Okay, you go, girl. You you were prepared. Okay. <laughs> All right. I am feeling, okay, this flower, a flower. What do they call it? A crocus or iris crocus? Does that mean anything to you? Yeah, it does. Yes. Write it down. Okay. okay. I just got chills. So your daughter's with me right now. What does that mean to you? Um, well, I have I have um, uh, I have a very dear friend whose very favorite flower is is this flower, and uh, which I one, the iris or Mariah, the crocus? Crocus? Yeah, I think it's the iris, and um, okay. and, and I think Mariah has been instrumental in kind of pushing us together. <laughs> so yes, that really, makes sense. yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, she's just giving a little tidbit there. She's giving you the go ahead then. Because when I give a message like that, she what they do is I I call myself the puzzle psychic, the puzzle medium, because we kind of put that pieces together ourselves. Because I don't, I've never talked to Nina before tonight. We briefly talked on Facebook, whatever. Really, you know, um, you know, haven't read your book because it's not out yet, you know. And I don't know that much. I don't know anything, but she's been bugging me for ten minutes to the point of giving me a headache. She goes, "You got to tell her this." <laughs> and they do annoy me. They do annoy me sometimes. They do annoy me. What? Okay. That's what? So okay. I'm getting something else from her. Do you remember the the gum chiclets, like a chiclet tooth, or is there something with the teeth, or a chiclet tooth, or braces, <laughs> or something? What's up with that? Yes. Oh my God. What? Yes. That's okay. Go ahead. I'm good. Am me. I good or what? That's go ahead. Really, really, really weird. Oh, it makes me want to cry. Um. That you would know that. No, it's not. So, you want you happy. Yeah, I know. You happy. So that's really crazy because um, when I, so I had some dental work done on on yeah, ten and of you had my a chiclet teeth. Tooth. And, yeah, uh-huh. you that's had the chiclet tooth. <laughs> okay, well that's what she's telling me. She's laughing. She's <laughs> asking her about the chiclet tooth. That is so crazy. I had totally forgotten about that because well, I got veneers on my teeth, so I got ten veneers and. At okay. first, they were they were so white th- that they look like chiclets, and that's what exactly what she uh, said to me. Said, "Mom, you got okay. chiclet well, well, that's what she's telling me. So you see what I can do, okay? <laughs> so she came to you and on you. They come to me in the crate. You don't even know some of the ways they come to me. I I'm a and it's funny because people go, "Do you hear voices? No, I'm nuts, but I'm not crazy, okay? <laughs> no, I don't hear voices. They just flow through me." I feel them. I feel the chill. I feel the warmth. I feel the touch. I feel, you know, and they give me stupid things. <laughs> that only means something to you, but it's important enough that you know it's them. It's a validation. Exactly. So she's she's giving you she's giving you a thumbs up. She's doing um. Okay, I can't. You know, they, I and I I I laugh at these people that do spiritual thing, the third eye and all this. I kind of joke about it because I guess that's what it is. So I guess I'll call it the third eye. This is how I get it, okay? I'm seeing her doing like the Happy Days Fonzie thing with you, like A with the thumb up. Does that mean anything to you? <laughs> Give me the thumb up. Yeah. Um, it does. It does mean a lot um, because I'm at a very pivotal 
time in my life and where I'm trying okay. to make some I've been trying to make some important personal decisions. And right. so that just um very much ties in with the iris and, 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 and this person. And the interesting thing about this tooth. person is she, and she gets well. This person gets headaches all the time, so it's interesting that you're getting a headache. Yeah, I've got a, and I, and you know what? I'm not, I, I have no other medium to say I hate when they do that. And I, I'm not one as much as I got MS. You know, it's a brain disease also, and I don't get headaches usually. But she, she's giving me a headache right now, and I don't know what that means. Yeah, I got a headache. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I, no, physically, I don't like the physical feelings. Like when my nephew died yeah, before I knew he died, I was feeling the physical. I knew something was wrong, but I'm like, I almost put myself in the hospital. I didn't know what was wrong with me. Once I found out my nephew, I was feeling him. I, I, what do they call it? The empathy mm. or I was feeling him. Yeah. And, and you know, and he died under. Yeah, I don't like it. I, I, that I don't like it doesn't happen often. But she gave me a headache, and she wouldn't stop until she says, "Don't you dare get off that phone until you tell her these things." Mm. She was not going to let you get away. So what's the Fonzie thing with the A? Happy days. Well, I, happy I think she's just days. giving me the thumbs up. In other words, I'm on the right path. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, one yeah. more thing okay. um, related to Fonzie. This is here we go with the stupidness because they really they they really think I'm nuts with the way I do this. Uh, along with Fonzie was the Cunninghams. Do you have a Cunningham or cutting something with a Cunningham? Cunningham, mm-hmm. cutting ham. This may be a puzzle. You may have to write down and figure it out. It may be. Right. It may be something in your kitchen. Um, cutting ham, cutting ham, cutting ham, cutting ham. Something happened with a ham, ham at Easter. Cutting ham. I don't like the ham. I don't want the ham. Cutting well, ham. ham was her favorite food on the whole earth. Oh, it was. Ham was. It was. You couldn't make her a happier girl if she had a piece of ham. There was a smile on her face. That was her very favorite food. Very okay, well, that's what ham. it means then. Uh, yeah, she, uh, I've seen <laughs> cutting. Like she gives me happy yeah. days, Fonzie, thumbs up, and cutting ham. Cutting yeah, ham. She, oh, she wants you to cut the her ham. Favorite thing. Yeah. Okay. So you got your reading, thing. honey. <laughs> I hope that <laughs> Thank helps. You so much. That was fantastic. Put that in your book and smoke Thank it. You. <laughs> I'm, I'm giving you a thumbs up. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, honey. I'm glad awesome. that I could bring you a little peace too. I mean, you know, that's uh, nice. what makes the world go around. We we give and we we get. You know, it's part of the karma thing. So, but thank she you, didn't want you. you to go away with uh, empty pockets here. You know, so. Thank you, thank yep, you. But you're welcome, sweetie. And like I said, we'll be in contact. Don't be a stranger. Check my page out. You're going to love some of the stuff on that. Just scroll okay, down and see I the will. pictures and some of the stories. And yeah. I'll let you know when my other books are out. And uh, my poetry definitely in a couple of days. I've been supposed to be out two months Great. ago, but I, I finally made it in just the week. Exciting. Well, that's, that's going to be the second. And I've got three more coming out. I have one on the hurricane, and I have um, one that just popped up. I was going to do the fifth book, and I got told by somebody, you need to do this book. I'm like, thanks. Am I ever going to be done? <laughs> Can I have a vacation? You know. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and then I have the one on my son racing harness in heaven too. So that's the powerhouse. That's mm-hmm. about rally, about the signs. Amazing book. That's an amazing book. Mm-hmm. I can't even believe that book. You know. But um, mm-hmm. I wish you great Exciting. success on your book. Let me Thank know when you. it's out. Thank I you. would you too. want a copy. Want a copy? <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, I Nina. I will be in contact. God bless and thank you for coming on tonight. Thank you, Peggy. It's been delightful. Thank you. Okay, me too, hon. Have a great one then. Thank you. Have a good okay, night. Me too. Okay, okay you too. Okay, but God bless. Okay, this you is too. Peggy Bye-bye. from uh, Verplank, New York. Bye-bye. Signing off from Signs of Loved One Send Us. <clears throat> Next week's show, I have a local uh, psychic uh, medium that will be on. And um, 
She actually is a uh, personal medium to some of my family. That's how I found out about her. And uh, she's amazing from what I hear. So she will be on my show next week, uh, 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Call in. We'll be doing readings. Thank you and good night. Bye-bye.